Welcome to Plat Chat. I have the absolute pleasure today of introducing a new monthly series. At least we're hoping to make it monthly. I, I don't hold me to anything like that. It's going to be monthly. It's okay, going it's going to be monthly. monthly. Jonathan's cracking the whip. That's fine. All right, let's do it. Um, it's called Overwatch 2 Community Roundtable. We're going to be inviting on different guests from different parts of the Overwatch community. And we've, we've cracked it off with the, the, the biggest guests you could get. Bigger than the Pope, some might say. It's Siegel. How are you doing, man? It's been, um, you took a break for quite a while, and now you're back streaming regularly. I did. Um, it's been really weird, actually, to like take a break from the internet and go back. Yeah. It's very, very strange. And man it's so weird but also uh bigger than the pope wow <laughs> so i might mean, say am, you're am, the pope I mean, of overwatch i am quite like. thick you know so i think I, <laughs> I think i could physically manage it yeah yeah you think you could take the pope in a wrestle listen that's that's going down a different tangent that's going down a completely okay. different tangent <laughs> We're, yeah, we've also got uh, Siegel and Reinforce's upper torsos here in person. The lower halves of their body have not joined us today, but we've, we've got them more involved with the set. The Siegel's nearly perched on a, on a bench here. He's nearly on top of a shelf. I wanted to kick things off, though, by asking, you've, you've come back to streaming recently, right? And you said you took a bit of a break. And Overwatch is the game that you kind of kicked off your whole streaming career with. You were, you were streaming TF2 before that, but the real big push was when overwatch was first released five years later when we're in 2021 what is the what how do you perceive overwatch as a game compared to then does it still have that same appeal to you as being that place where you can just lose yourself inside of it and has this like thriving community how do you feel that that your perception of it has changed like over the course of five years when you play it now I think that actually the issue I have with it is that my perception of it hasn't actually changed because not much of it has actually changed in the very long term. Um, the perception I used to have of Overwatch was, well, I still think this is true. I think they can make very, very large like marketing pushes. Everybody loves the universe, the cinematic, the lore, everything about Overwatch, like the game and the universe. Everyone loves it. Um, but I think they've sort of lost the sauce a little bit over okay. the years because... Other games since, you know, what was it, tw late 2015, we were, like, we were all starting to play the beta. Like, think about how long ago that was. And yeah. now the industry has changed so significantly. It's very common to have three-month uh, three patch cycles for other games where they're constantly re releasing content, constantly releasing new characters, heroes, updates, seasonal stuff, everything top to bottom. And Overwatch, I think, hasn't necessarily evolved with that. So in total, I think... My perception of Overwatch is still extremely high potential game, extremely high potential universe. Everyone loves everything about the game, the IP. It just needs to just have more stuff to draw people back in right now. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. And I've said it many times, especially when we've talked about Overwatch 2. I think that Overwatch 2 has the potential to be the biggest game in the Battle.net launcher. Like if you consider the world, the marketing pushes they've done in the past. Like, I think we sometimes forget in 2016, 2017, how active the marketing team was for Overwatch and like how much work they actually put into that. I mean, you got a box of Lucios behind you. Yeah, like, true. That's yeah, that's true. That wasn't that's, quite 2016, though, was it? That was, um, that was 2017, yeah. Was it 2017? Yeah, we did the work yeah, was. with Golden Pretty Boy, sure. right? And we had them there. Was that 20? No, surely that wasn't 2017. Well, I think that was like 2018. 20, 2018, no, no, actually. Oh, yeah, you're right. Was, I mean, it all I blends can check. together. Oh, yeah, it was 2018. It was 2018. Oh, it's 2018. Sorry, I apologize. But yeah, you get the point. Like, they went these out of, kind of... in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> What's it look but like these... now? Take a bite. 
Yeah. I, no, absolutely not. I mean, unless you want me to die on the show, I'm not taking a bite of those. The sub goal. We'll make it a sub goal for Josh to eat. Uh, <laughs> uh, but these kind of things, right? Like, that's just nuts. And yeah, sure, we, we have, you know, Pringles cans. You can win, like, an Overwatch League ticket or what have you. But, like, I truly believe that we're just, like, in this phase right now where it's not worth investing marketing bucks into the current state of the game until we actually get Overwatch 2. And we've seen other games, like... You know, League of Legends, Dota 2, they have their own Netflix shows, stuff like that. Yeah, um, that's and I, bizarre. It's, it's bizarre, right? But I really do believe that Overwatch, the world, talking about like PvP, like when you queue into, I'm not like talking about, you know, but the world building, the lore, like Seagull talked about. I really do believe that Overwatch has massive. Oh. We have to pause the recording and I lost my point. But all I was just going to say is Overwatch, the world has the potential to be a AAA title. So yeah. I, I think there's tons of potential here. We're just in a phase right now. We're just waiting. Okay. Just waiting, well, Sideshow. I, I guess I would pose this question as well, though. The the environment is very different, right? Like Siegel is saying, the when Overwatch itself was released in 2015, 2016, we didn't really have games that were being released as a... I mean, game, games as a service was only just starting to become a thing. Really, what it was competing with at the time, from what I remember, are these big titles that had released way, way long ago. Like, the... I can't exactly put myself in the headspace of 2015, 2016, but I remember to me as someone that came from TF2, it felt like Overwatch was the only big thing coming out right then. And it seemed like the only thing that would draw people's attention from across the entirety of the FPS scenes. That isn't really the case with the added longevity of games. I mean, there's games like Fortnite, Apex, stuff like that, that are always going to be adding new stuff, competing, Valorant as well, for example, that are releasing on a regular cycle. It feels like not only do you have to do what they're doing, but you then have to compete with them too, which wasn't, or at least to me, thinking back on it, doesn't, doesn't seem to have been the case in like 2016. They, they kind of had the entire market to themselves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this I was before Fortnite. You know, Fortnite came out in, what, 2018 as well or something? Like, late 2017, I think? I mean, it blew up then. I think it had actually been it out as a PvE then, yeah. game for even earlier than that, but I don't know when. Yeah. Um, Apex wasn't out by then. Um, so, you know, it was before all this, like, BR kind of uh, storm that, you know, just yeah. invaded the gaming world. But I agree with you. Like, there was nothing around by then. I think, you know, CSGO had been out for many years by then, but I think it was slowly, like being phased out, Quake Champions. Like, there was nothing really going on, um, no, if I, mean, I can remember back then. I remember I was playing beta at the time, and I remember I had a, like, Overwatch beta goes down. What did you guys remember playing back then? It was Paladins. Paladins yes! and Battleborn. Oh, that was, was. Like, that was pretty much it, right? Paladins came around. I was around riding around time. on my Battleborn. horse. <laughs> yeah. I never then, played uh, Paladins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually enjoyed that game. It was cool. But it's, it's very much more, it doesn't have, like, the same scale of budget that, overwatch would ever have so it's kind of screwed from the beginning mm. but does that lead does does that lead you to believe that they almost missed their opportunity or or do you side more with jonathan where it's like well there's still so much potential in this franchise if they just execute it correctly with the sequel that you can still recapture all of that energy that you 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 slightly missed out on in 2016 well the interesting part to me is do you guys remember the like cadence of the updates back in 2016 2017 they were releasing very fast like i think we had all of those different holiday anniversary updates hit back to back as well as archives all the way from 2016 2017 
Like if they just continued that and they didn't stop, I can't imagine like what Overwatch would look like, you know, now versus what it was like what it could have been if they maintained that style of updates for three or four years. Mm. Um, but back to your original point, I do think it's recoverable. I, and I, I think it's actually very obvious to me anyway, why they're taking the path that they're choosing now, which is essentially Overwatch is in a low point. Do we want to just, let's say, let's change the monetization so that way we as developers are encouraged to drop constant updates. Is that a good choice to do right now? Or should we create this massive high park like marketing moment in Overwatch 2 and then shift the monetization? Probably they would and go all out on the same scale that all these other games are doing. I feel like the second one is much more their style where they're gonna wanna drop one big box update so that way they can ship as many boxes as possible then go straight into all out updates. Almost like a jump start, like defibrillate the franchise. You, you, you want a, a large step increase rather than some slow sliding stuff. Yeah, but there's, there's two parts to it too because we're talking a lot about the success, the universe has right the overwatch as a franchise is incredible and everybody loves the ip in the universe everyone loves the trailers i know so many people that i meet in mmos and other games who know what overwatch is and they'll even own like merchandise for the game just because yeah. they love the characters and they love all the stuff about it and then you ask them like so do you play very much like oh i played it for a little bit but i just love like i just love the characters are cool and anyway overwatch 2 to me always felt like a massive shift for the franchise to move it to appeal to those players as much as they can because they have this gigantic market essentially of casual players who love the universe and they love the IP, but they don't really enjoy a very competitive 6v6 game. And mm. so they sat there and they went, okay, how about we just make this huge PV game instead? And that to me feels like the more fundamental shift because uh, we still don't know that much about it is the, is the tough part to call. Like we don't know the scale of it necessarily, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah. You mean we I, don't I, know I, the, the scale of the, the size of the PVE portion. Do you mean? Yeah. So basically, cause there's, there's so many different ways you can do a PVE game, right? You could do it as, so what we saw at BlizzCon was essentially just missions that kind of felt more like, uh, so we did, what was it? Four player missions at BlizzCon and then we also had the opportunity to play on hard mode, which the vast majority of people actually didn't have because on the stage build, it, every single computer that you were playing with had to select the hard mode or option or else the difficulty wouldn't work. And so uh, we all had all, all the streamers had our own set. And so we were playing on hard mode and that stuff was legitimately awesome. It reminded me actually a little bit of uh, World of Warcraft and other MMOs, which honestly completely makes sense considering the Overwatch devs are primarily from World of Warcraft cool. from back in the day. And you had to like sync up cooldowns and timings and all this other stuff. And it felt like it had a lot of potential. Um, but anyway, back to the scale part of that. We don't know, like when we first talked about it, most people's impressions were, all right, is this just a campaign? Like you guys just doing like a single player story campaign and that's kind of it? Or are you guys gonna try and have an end game? Or are you gonna try and make it a live service PV game where you actually wanna have progression systems and farming and end game content? Right. What's right. the deal? And they've, they've never really come out and explicitly said it yet, I think. Yeah, I, I think, I want, especially when we tried it as well, it reminded me a lot about Destiny, actually. It felt yeah. very similar to Destiny. I, I played a ton of Destiny 1 uh, when that came out um, as well around that time, actually, 2016 or something like that. Um, the, the thing is, though, we don't know how expansive PvE will be, as Seagull said, in, like, in what capacity are you rewarded for playing these missions? Are you just doing this 
for fun? Is there going to be like a reward system behind this? Will you have like a daily quest with like a purpose behind playing PvE? Or like, hey, you want to unlock these achievements or, you know, collect these items. Uh, you know, you gotta do a daily mission in PvE with your mm -hmm. friends to, you know, collect that or something. Like, I don't know what the replayability is of PvE sure. as it stands. Yeah. So I, I think that is what Seagull is hinting towards as well. Like, when we think about PvE and how it will how like replayable it will be for Overwatch 2, what will make players come back? Like how are they going to design this as a game that people will play for months to come? Yeah, well, I've got to admit, I don't play many games like that, honestly. So when you're saying stuff like World of Warcraft, Destiny, that kind of stuff, I've never played those games. That those are not the games that I've like interacted with. So my major experience of playing PvE stuff is kind of the the story mission kind of thing, the campaign. You have one campaign, you play it through. If you enjoy it, you play it through again. But that doesn't really seem to be the direction, as least from the impression that I got that they're going with. So the, the question I want to ask you two, the more experienced in terms of this aspect of gaming, is which games do you think do it well? Like what what kind of concepts do you think would work well applied to the overwatch universe and can you kind of walk me through the 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 reasons why they keep you coming back or get you engaged seagull do you want to start i, I feel like i have a thousand things <laughs> there are a thousand things yeah. um because it's a very difficult topic to nail down but i will say this i i think that the scale of the pv game that they're building is essentially they have talked about that they want game to have the capability for it to be a player's main game so to me that directly implies they want in game and then at, after blizzcon i did ask jeff kaplan do you have any plans for aspirational content and they said yes and aspiration content would kind of imply raids or in-game content of any type or form doesn't have to actually necessarily be raids we don't know what even that would even look like in overwatch 2 but anyway um the the point is i think if you look at it at the at the grand scale of Blizzard and Activision, to me, it, it kind of feels like they lost Destiny. And so they went to Overwatch and were like, you're now Destiny. You need to go make <laughs> Destiny. Yeah. Jonathan. Oh, sorry. I was writing a message to Kurt because my microphone is acting up. Um, yeah, I, I feel like when you look at all these other games, like collectibles is the main thing. Uh, sorry, I missed um like when you look at all these games like world of warcraft even call of duty i think is a really good example of how they handle pve progression in that way because they have zombie mode right which is essentially okay, PvE. Yeah. like you just just kill zombies and they have their own individual like gun rewards for those so for example if you play multiplayer pvp and you hit 100 headshots with like a certain weapon you know we all know this. you unlock like a Tiger or like a red tiger skin or whatever. That's what you did in Call of Duty 4 in a way. For zombie mode, they have their own separate unlockables. So if you browse all of the weapon skins in Call of Duty and you see like, hey, I really want this skin, it might just be a zombie-specific game mode mm. skin that you can only unlock that way. In Overwatch 2, you could even expand that to like, instead of golden guns, you could have like diamond guns. Um, I don't know, like you can make all kinds of guns if, you really, if you're really creative <laughs> enough. Um, yeah. But that kind of unlockable rewards that only uh, revolve around PvE and PvE, PvP, um, I think that could be really cool even in a quick play environment where you run into a Lucio and he has a specific skin or a specific gun skin or like even like, a, like an ability effect. Like what if a Lucio had a different 
kind of aura because he was able to unlock it through pve mode um we talked about uh, the leveling up system in overwatch 2 and about how you can do like talent trees and you can like level up your reinhardt like what if you got something if you had like a level 50 reinhardt um and you know it, it, it obviously it doesn't increase like the stat points or like how strong your character <laughs> yeah, is yeah you like, don't go into an yeah, overwatch league match yeah. and you're <laughs> you're better because you played <laughs> pve more yeah or at least i hope it wouldn't work like that but it's like the same way we currently have a level system with like the portraits you know like you unlock super cool portraits sure. and you can like show that off in a lobby or whatever like you could show off that you played a ton of reinhardt in pve and make that content lucrative um for everyone else in the lobby with the ones you're playing with in pvp or in pve there is and you know some people they won't care you know well, like i know you for example sideshow like you're not super invested in skins for example I, I, but i i mean i, I have the most irrational love sorry I, I might be. I could be persuaded. I don't know. It depends what the skin oh. is. If that new Anna skin, <laughs> if the Hero Eris skin for Anna was only available if you got to level 50 grinding PvP, shooting your Bionade yeah. at some AI, I might do it. I might. Yeah, and I mean, like, if, if there are certain Overwatch League skins, why can they not pertain to... Yes, you can unlock them with tokens if you watch the Overwatch League stream or whatever, but why can they not pertain to, like, a more hardcore kind of achievement as well? I don't know what that would be, that would you, you would like cater to different sets of the player base and then they could all you know when they stumble upon like a pve player that pve player can showcase their achievements and awards from playing that mode in overwatch to a pvp player or an overwatch league player or that kind of thing um before we leave this topic as well i also think with pve content um you can approach that differently in world of warcraft for example where you have um you know, obviously, like, who clears the content the fastest? Like, who does, yeah. like, the world first kill or, like, the you know, for a certain boss, you can have, a, like, world first, like, who clears this on this mode the hardest? But also, in Classic WoW that I play, the content is so ridiculously easy. Like, it was designed 15 years ago. Like, it, it's, it's, it's mind-numbingly easy. But the way that player base has adjusted to that is speedrunning. So that right. is the big draw for classic WoW raids is because this content is so easy. Everyone's going to do it. It's not a challenge. Um, instead, it's a, they have a leaderboard, not an official leaderboard, which you know I'd want for Overwatch 2, which I'm making the argument now for. But it's like a leaderboard that says, like, these guys cleared the mission the fastest. You can climb this speedrun leaderboard. Um, this is the composition they used. Um, and like yeah. this is their time, of course. And then you can compete on that speedrunning leaderboard. So. You know, yeah. I, I'm not really presenting all of these things for Overwatch 2, but I'm making the case that there are a million things you could do in the PvE mode oh. to make it replayable for people, whether they like collectibles, whether they like, uh, you know, uh, achievements, uh, competing. Like, there, there are a million ways you could really make PvE lucrative in that way and make it replayable. So mm. I just went on a bit of a rant, but... I... <laughs> mm. I just want to say, um, you know that what you described with leaderboards is actually what we had with the Junkenstein event. Do you remember that? When yeah, people, yeah. When but that was game... score, right? Yeah, it was a score, but that score was dependent on how fast you were and how fast you could, kill, you could uh, clear the map. Yeah, I didn't play a ton. I will admit, Seagull. I didn't play a ton. I of do remember, content, though, except for like the first couple of days. I remember yeah. streamers attempting to climb the leaderboard, though, and taking it fairly seriously because there was some pride on the line there. What? Did did they not add that for future events? I don't play very many of the events. I don't know. I I didn't act, I don't remember. But I will say this actually. Um, so for those I guess 
just the the classic Junkenstein PV event, right? Where you're running around, you're in what was it, Eichenwald or whatever, and you're just shooting bots. That mode had a leaderboard with points, and it, the points you got were dependent on how fast you cleared everything, how much you cleared, and stuff like that. But now the interesting part of that was actually in the years afterwards, they added certain twists. So Johnny, you pl I, have you played Retail WoW this expansion? No, I have not played Retail WoW this expansion. Okay, they, well, I'll just give you me. an example of um, this is kind of a niche thing, but during the Halloween event, they added a twist on it, which was I think each week there was a modifier to the mission. And so one of the modifiers was along the lines that like, there are invulnerable ghosts that ch uh, chase every player. And if they catch you, they do like a big circle on the ground, like AOE damage or something like that. And mm. so you'd have to like, you'd have to run away, run away from the ghosts while killing everything else. And realistically, those types of modifiers are in my opinion, just beta testing for Overwatch 2 mission modifiers, because this is what is essentially these types of PV missions in Overwatch 1 are the prototype for Overwatch 2. So why not toss in other modifiers to see how they do? And yeah, if they like them or not. They have tried that in archives, right? Because yeah. like they, they do it right now, as you said, like they're trying it out for Overwatch 2, where in, you know, to make Overwatch archives replayable, for example, they add like a new set of modifiers each year. Um, each year, you know, that's a bit long in between. But I, I definitely get your point that like modifiers like using World of Warcraft could very well work with Overwatch PvE modes as well. And, and if you look at the AI that they're actually using there in that Junkenstein, that is a world away from what they've said is going to be involved in Overwatch 2. Like the AI that they've yeah. showcased is way more dynamic than just stumbling zombies that are coming towards you only going in a straight line. It does look like it's going to be more engaging than that. Uh, and it... I think you'll end up looking at this as like a, a really ancient prototype for what the PvP, the PvE, sorry, actually ends up looking like. Absolutely. I remember at BlizzCon, we actually had to, we were playing on that hard difficulty, like I mentioned earlier, and we got into certain rooms where we're just getting absolutely like stomped by these massive waves. And we had to actually sync up cooldowns of like, all right, our Rhine Shield's going down. We're going to put up a May Wall. And then after the May Wall's up, we have our Rhine Shield again. And then after that, we're going to Lucio beat. And then it's like we needed those rotations of anything just to survive. And uh, from what we actually know of PV Overwatch, from the very limited details they said, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, they mentioned they had about, uh, I think it was three or four difficulties. And what we played on was only the second hardest difficulty. <laughs> so there okay. was still That's a difficulty unreal. above that. And so I think there will be, you know, Naturally, there's like a couple different aspects of this, right? So like we are competitive players. We're interested in the competitive side of the game. And so we're kind of nerding out on the potential skill parts of PV like this. But also I think that sort of the entire point of creating and taking so much time to produce like all the story content, like they want to make what is feels like a campaign, like the mission that's on screen right now is essentially like Lucio lore. Um, like it should have something for everyone, I think. I yeah. think that's their goal. Like they don't want, want to, make to it, directly appeal. Yeah. You don't want to make group. it like Dark Souls where you would just <laughs> yeah. fail it over and over again and never be able to unlock the law. You want it accessible to people uh, of all skill types, right? Especially if you're designing it towards the casual, you want casual people to engage with it and enjoy it. Yeah. I, and I think actually that's how um, I actually watched a video. I've never played Final Fantasy 14, but I actually, you know, it, it's, it's a very casual player base, that game. So actually like all, it's a very story driven game as well. Uh, you know, unlike World of Warcraft, everything you do involves the Final Fantasy XIV story. And so all the raids actually are pretty easy. 
pretty easy content from what I've heard in a way. So like if you wanted to go and do that story raid, it's like you could do that with a bunch of friends, you know, right. get it going. But all the hard content is like optional. Like if you wanted to do the hard bosses in the game, so you know, testing your pushing your final supporting skills to the limit, that's just optional. Like that the story doesn't really, you know, matter. Sure. Um, but it's still lucrative. What oh my is god. This? <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, here yeah. you go. Look at that screen. People talk about visual clutter in Overwatch. You get 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 them playing this game. Oh my <laughs> lord. <laughs> What is this occurring? Yeah, I would love to talk about this for a second, which is Final Fantasy XIV and how they do things is actually really interesting because how they do a lot of their PV in-game content is um, it's not necessarily you get more power out of it, you just get cosmetics. So they have these right. fights that are called ultimates, and the only people who do them are just nerds, just nerding out, and you get exclusive cosmetics for beating the fight, right. and that's it. That's all you get. Is that appealing can, though I, to the fan base? It is. It is appealing to the to that fan base. But um, I think the the core issue that when we're you know we are getting a little bit off tangent here uh, when it comes to Overwatch is I don't actually understand. You know, it's really going to depend on because we're kind of like saying okay, what if they go the furthest they could go with PV, which is essentially oh you want to compete with Destiny, oh you want to compete, you want to have like aspirational content does. And the, the interesting thing about talking about aspirational content is we know that encounter designers from World of Warcraft have actually moved to mission designing on the Overwatch team because they've said so publicly on Twitter. Right. And so we don't know the scale of so much. It's just sort of a, you guys could do this. And I think you actually want to because the developer team all came from World of Warcraft. And they then afterwards, they were working on Titan for how many years before they turned around and like spun out this 6v6 competitive shooter. But I guarantee you, like, they are going to be so good at making that form of content. Now, the issue I have in the long term is so, what exactly is Overwatch supposed to be? Do you want to be this competitive 6v6 shooter or do you want to be also this PvE endgame, sort of like Destiny? Or is it going to be more like, wow, well, we, we don't know, but essentially, you want a replayable PvE game. How are you going to do all of these things at once? Right. I, I think that's a really important question too because everything that we've seen around Overwatch 2 so far, all of the development, the marketing, stuff like that, up until the last month, two months, was purely focused on PvE. Everything they were talking about was the story missions, was the casual aspect, the lore, the redesign of the heroes, the new engine, all of the stuff that you would require to make PvE excellent. And then it's only within the last month, two months, at which Aaron Keller has made a particular focus on making sure that people understand that PvP is also being addressed and, and changed. Uh, I want to say improved, but I think changed is the better way of phrasing that because we don't exactly know what's going on with it. But majorly redesigning large portions of PvP, that's, that's a gargantuan task. Building a PvE game that's big enough to compete with PvE rivals across the gaming sphere, and then also a PvP game that, that can do the same, is... That's an enormous task. They're, they're, they're setting up difficulties for themselves in terms of what they've promised just based on development time i i i understand that the the overwatch 2 team and the overwatch team in general has grown enormously since they took on this project but more than doubled yeah but that's what they'd need right you'd need to more than double it because your responsibilities have more than doubled it seems yeah i mean that's that's part of the copium i feel like for me in a way with overwatch 2 it's just like Okay, I know we're not in the best 
phase of like content right now in Overwatch 1. But if the rumors are true that like you've truly expanded your Overwatch 2 developer team massively and you're doubling down, that does make me optimistic about the internal like mindset moving into Overwatch 2 and their belief in the potential of this as a game. Um, because I think like PvP will definitely need its own set of developers, you know, like it runs currently. And then PvE, as you say, on top of that. Now, I don't think P I don't think Overwatch 2 PvE will ever truly be able to compete with its rivals, like we mentioned beforehand, because it, it's it, this is not an MMO, you know? Like, it's not an MMO in the same way World of Warcraft, Final Fantasy, Destiny, any of these games are. So it's all about really making replayable content, having people come back because they really enjoy the gameplay or they really enjoy the missions because that is the driving factor. The driving factor for Overwatch 2 PvE is not going to be, um, you know, running into your friends like you do in a video game or, you know, maybe as Seagull said about aspirations about raids, you know, that could be a thing. I, I think Overwatch 2, more than anything, will be so much more focused on the gameplay as replayable because it's so much fun um, and then the missions itself. Um, that, that I think you will have need a big team to just like pump out more content and make sure the game is fun um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely optimistic about uh, them getting more developers and I, I truly you, making sure the PV is catered to. You can absolutely take the optimistic view that it's it shows they are committed if they are doubling the development team, right? That's the optimistic view of it. The yeah. pessimist view, which I see all over the place when it comes to Overwatch, is... Jesus Christ, we've had a content drought that makes the Sahara look like an oasis out in the desert. Uh, and, and that is the thing that they are worried is going to continue because you're compromising between the two. You know, even if you have a development team that's twice the size, if you're compromising between the two areas, then you may end up having a similar level of lack of content being released because you're stretching yourselves thin across the ground. That, that, I think, is the, the pessimist's view at the moment as well, is at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you have all this cool content. If you don't continue to release new stuff constantly after Overwatch 2 is developed, then you still, you still lose that replayability. You still lose the people coming back and feeling like it's fresh all the time. Where, where do you fall on the spectrum, Siegel, of the, the splitting developer time being... Uh, I mean... Splitting developer time <laughs> is going to be a potential issue for them, but with the development team being so much bigger, are you more optimistic or pessimistic about Overwatch 2's ability to juggle that? Extremely cautious. Okay. Uh, so very pessimistic. And the reason oh. for that is because I think the issue actually comes down to monetization. I don't see how exactly... Monetization is supposed to support PvP getting long-term support over PvE when PvE is the game that's actually getting monetized right now. Overwatch 2, if you buy Overwatch 2, you're getting PvP for free. The entire reason you buy Overwatch 2 right now is to play the PvE. And so I feel like just by nature of the incentives involved in that, of course PvE is going to get more attention than PvP. And of course it's going to when you've already said all right, let's put Overwatch on maintenance mode and go work on this sequel. And that sequel primarily seems to be based until, like you said, the last month or so on PVE for like three years. So like, I'm very pessimistic, but more in the long term. I'm actually very optimistic about the quality of the PVE content. I like, I trust that dev team to make 
like a very compelling PvE game, more so than almost any other PvE dev team I can imagine. And I'm just mostly worried about the long-term impacts of, so do you want to make an actual replayable PvE game? Do you want to have this, like, do you, is this going to have legs? Are we going to sit here and be like, in two or three years post-release, are people still going to be playing the game? Or, you know, how are you going to do that? And then also, are, do you plan on releasing PvP content? What does that look like for the future of Overwatch PvP when, I mean, just think about what, what's already happened right now, which is you've been in a content drop for like, two or three years, essentially. I say that, that's also a little, I'm, I'm being a little bit unfair um, because they actually have released a lot of, I would say, backend updates. So things like 222 launched um, back in, I want to see it was late 2019. Was that 2019 or was it 2020? Uh, oh God. Yeah, 2019 after Ghost Matter, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so they have they have released quite a lot. Um, but Cross I think- play came out for the Switch, stuff like that. Yeah, they've done like behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, they've they've done a lot of work on the game. But I think when you compare it in strict what's appealing to the average player, when they see something shiny and they want to just log on, that doesn't have like the same level of like, it's not very compelling. Um, but anyway, the, the, the TLDR of what I'm trying to get across is at launch, I think it'll be fine. I think you, because you've taken so much time away to just drop this massive update, it'll probably be fine for a few months where we're going to have so much stuff to work through that it's going to be awesome. Cool. But then after that initial drop of content wears off, immediately say three or four months after release or however long it takes, what is it going to look like for the future of the game when do you, is no matter what, one side's going to suffer here. For the people who want the PvE Overwatch experience, like you're trying to do too much at once if they're trying to make an actual replayable piece, right? There's no way one dev team can make a Destiny and an esport game at like the same time, like a competitive shooter, but also we need to make like this competitor to what is essentially Destiny or alternatively Vermintide. And then it, there's all these weird conflicting messages like of what you just said, where I felt that Overwatch 2 was extremely PV centric because all of the messaging in the last few years, not last few years, but last since the BlizzCon it was announced has been strictly PV up until Aaron Keller takes over. And Aaron Keller goes in interviews and he says, oh yeah, PVP is the focus. And here's all this PV uh, stuff that we're working on. By the way, we're changing it to 5v5 too. And it's like, whoa, like, okay, <laughs> that's cool. But also what, you know, like what's going on here? So, yeah. Well, I think the monetization aspect that you brought up is very interesting one because the, we, we don't know, they have said that they are looking or at least open to shifting the monetization model that they have in the game right now, which is like the loot box aspect. Um, but if you, you've got any PvP aspect that is going to be involved in Overwatch 2 is going to be available to people who own Overwatch 1. They've said that you'll be able to play on new maps, you'll be able to use new heroes, you'll be able to play PvP with your friends who own Overwatch 2. So if you don't want to buy the the upgrade, the sequel, whatever, you're still going to be able to play all of the core game that you know and love right now from Overwatch. It'll be changed to 5v5, obviously, but the, the core game is going to still remain accessible for everyone who already had it, which creates this weird dynamic, like you said, where essentially the people who are buying Overwatch 2 are funding the PvE aspect, and that's the area that you would expect the development team then to focus on, because if that isn't good, then people aren't going to buy the upgrade. So what? So what's the point? 
I, I feel, though, that there must be an extra monetization process there for PvP as well. Something like the, the Battle Pass system that other games have. Because you need to be able to in incentivize both aspects of the development team, surely, in order for the game to survive. It's, it's attracted, what, like 50 million players all time to the game because of the PvP. You, you can't... I don't feel like it's reasonable to then pivot and make it a PvE-focused game because you're taking so many risks with your core audience. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely like options there. Um, and, yeah, it's hard to monetize PvP without making it uh, limiting for certain players. I think the battle pass is a great idea. Um, another thing that potentially could be extremely controversial would be like currently um, you can amass these points, right, that you can spend on getting faster queues for DPS, for example. Um, you know, if you if you fail and play tank or support, you get like a bonus point, and then you can use that point. I can't remember what they're called to essentially queue DPS faster. Get, yeah, it's like a prior point or whatever. I don't know. Like, why why couldn't you buy those? Like, if you're all about playing DPS, okay, you can buy ten prior oh points my for like. Lord, just oh no, that would be awful. No, no <laughs> give them ideas. You can monetize it. You know, you'll get the money, I'll and then we'll get more development for PvP. I'm sorry, Seagull. It had to be said. <laughs> I apologize, but. The point being, there are options, okay? There's not a ton of fantastic, super obvious options, but there are options, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry, YouTube comments. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I, I think that this is a very interesting conversation, and I think it also ties into the content route topic that we had earlier, uh, just a minute ago, because right now, we've been stuck with Overwatch for so, like, Overwatch 1, as it is, for so long, with no real, like, DLC or like expansion or whatever. So on this topic as well, like we don't know what the Watch Two is going to look like in terms of dates to the game, in terms of content. Like, uh, you know, what would the timeline be for Overwatch Three? Would it be like ten years for that? Um, or are we going to be more expansion oriented? Uh, like I think Destiny has like um, PVE expansions. They they do like DLCs, right? Where they're like, I hey, do. here's a new planet. Go to Orion on a new planet and just do these missions, right? Um, is that going to be it for um, Overwatch 2? And like, how do you monetize that then? Like, is the primary factor just going to be like DLC every six months? Um, and that's how you get people in. I've heard a ton of people talk about how they really want to see free to play um, in Overwatch. And it makes a ton of sense. Like, if you look at League of Legends, you know, bringing people in, Overwatch is a very expensive game. Um, so having free to play would certainly bring in a ton more players. Uh, to enjoy the game but like how do you monetize the, the game if it's free to play do you still have to buy for the dlcs like there's a ton of questions about monetization that we don't know about i could see overwatch 2 shifting monetization and content model like heavily from what we've experienced in overwatch 1 so i have no idea how they plan to monetize or split their development time considering that monetization because i feel like it's so up in the air in how they're actually going to approach content DLCs and all of that in the first place in Overwatch 2. I don't think we've heard anything about it. So no, they no. just said that everything's open. They they haven't shut down. When people have asked them questions in interviews, they haven't shut things down. They haven't said we're not doing loot boxes. We're not doing battle passes. They've just said we're considering our options. You know, they're leaving it as wide open as possible, possibly because they yeah. haven't made their final decisions about. I mean, when the product is potentially going to release in 2046. So who knows? <laughs> can I, I think we can here? all agree. We don't want to wait for a Wars 3, you yeah. know, for the only yeah. monetization thing. Yeah. 
I Cut. just I just wanted to ask you guys how you guys felt about battle passes. Personally, I think it's the best monetization model for free-to-play games I've ever experienced as a player. Well, it's tough because... Well, before we hop into that, so what Sideshow was saying a second ago about, you know, they're trying to keep their options open, to me is basically them in a PR way saying, yes, this is going to change, but we haven't figured out exactly how we want it to change yet. Like, I, I don't cool. see Overwatch 2 releasing with its current monetization. Like, do you guys agree with that? I yeah. would agree, yeah. I think that the yeah. loot box model is also outdated potentially in the future based on it's legality really stuff as well. Like in, in theory, yeah. there have been some countries that have been made pushes to try and re remove the kind of gambly aspect of it where you can't directly purchase the item you want to purchase. So I, I think it makes sense for the future to move away from it, even from a just trying to play it safe aspect. Yeah, I agree with that. Then... Back to the battle pass thing Kurt was saying, though, I think there's a... It's so hard to say because I would actually say I respect Overwatch quite a lot for how giving it is in a lot of ways. Like, you... There's... Is there any other game similar to Overwatch right now that has, like, the scale and it's a PV type of game or PvP type of game that it is right now that you just buy a box and you just get everything and they'll uh, put in loot boxes for cosmetics, but you don't even have to buy it from the shop because if you just play the game, you basically get all the skins you want anyway. Like it is very, very generous with what they give you, which makes sense because it is a box game, right? Like you buy it and you pretty much get everything. But that model, like that's the only one I can think of in like the past four or five years. Well, all the other games, they have DLCs and stuff, which we don't, so... You know, like it, it wouldn't be like that if we actually had different types of uh, content coming to the game. I mean, um, the, the development team has also said previously in the past that they've been against DLC kind of aspects where you have to pay for content. I mean, and I mean that in terms of like playable content rather than skins and those kind of things, which people call content. But at the end of the day, they're cosmetics. They're not actually, yeah. you're not interacting with them and playing them and, and enjoying them in the, the same way. I, I don't... I personally don't see a shift into paying for like added his Zen's backstory, but it's paywalled behind a 20 buck thing. I don't feel like they'd ever do that. That sounds gross. Yeah. I <laughs> Jonathan's like, hmm, but what if they mm. did? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't be overly optimistic about what they, what, what they can and won't and should do, you know, because then you're just bound for disappointment. You know, they have to make money somehow. So, you know, yeah. I just hope but, I, but to Kurt's point, I think makes... the Battle Pass system has not only been um, a good one for players most of the time, but it's been successful in terms of monetizing many other titles that have been very popular. You're driving your player base numbers as high as they can because the monetization comes almost naturally out of it and it, it seems to work. It has a lot of criticisms, I think, where like essentially the, the main criticisms of battle pass systems can be like, um, how do you get experience on the battle pass? Is it going to be overly grindy? A lot of it comes down to the execution and then are the rewards even worth it for me to buy? Does fully completing a battle pass gonna be the second one? There's like tons of like niche details that go into something like that. But at its core, I would say that battle passes, when they were first starting to pick up like Steam with Fortnite, they were very, very highly regarded. Like everyone loved them. But now it seems like every game has one. 
And so I think the public's perception of it would immediately be like, oh, cool, Overwatch is finally at a battle pass. Guess, you know, guess I got to do another fifth battle pass in this game I play now. Yeah. So it how, how is like both of yours experiencing Valorant? Because Valorant has a battle pass, right? Have you have you tried that out? Yeah, I mean, f from my perspective as someone who never buys skins, I am also quite averse to buying battle passes. But the little like bargain hunter part of my brain, the crow part of my brain, goes, "This is a pretty good deal." And so <laughs> I have bought two of the battle passes because they're way more cost efficient, and they, uh, if you're gonna be a player that plays the game a shit ton anyway. You don't have to factor in the grind. You just have to factor in, I pay X amount and I get pff, ton a ton of different things. Some of which I like, some of which I don't like. But it's, for me, always going to be more cost efficient than going and trying to buy a skin in Valorant because the prices of them are absurd if you go and just buy individual skins. So if I imagine a situation like Overwatch, I'm probably going to be playing Overwatch 2 a lot anyway. So unless the grind is truly ridiculous, like absolutely barbaric, I'm probably going to be able to complete a battle pass. I, I'm going to play the game a lot anyway. I enjoy streaming it. I enjoy playing it. So I don't have to be concerned about that aspect. Now, for somebody else who's got a nine-to-five job and only is able to play a couple of hours um, on a night every, what, three times a week or something, or they have kids and they can only play when the kids are going to bed. For those people, those people are in a different position where maybe they can't grind all the time and it feels like that isn't an efficient system for them because they don't have the time to be able to put into the game to get those rewards yeah i i haven't tried out the, the valorant battle pass system so i don't know how grind heavy it is um and also i was just thinking about how you talked about how grind heavy it is um and knowing how much i i grind in like classic wow i'm like yeah that's not that's not sustainable i'm, so, <laughs> I'm sorry nine to five workers like i i actually don't i actually i actually don't know what it's like to well, I guess I do now when I work on the Overwatch League to like try to achieve those kind of goals. So I don't know what amount of grind is the best. I was thinking, as you said, that like, would it be cool for those players who actually have that time and play the game like 10, 12 hours a day, like some of the streamers are for Overwatch? Like, what if you could prestige a battle pass and like you got like a very small added benefit if you maxed out your battle pass early, like, you know, Not 40, 50% yeah. into the battle pass and you could prestige it one time and just push for various minor, no, not big, big rewards at all, but like minor stuff. And you could like add that to your profile or whatever, you know, like, yeah. um, I, I definitely, I, I definitely understand the grind, um, problem for people who have day-to-day -day jobs and cannot afford the time to push that hard. I think normally the idea with battle passes is not just the monetization, but it's the idea that you want people to be coming back to play the game, even if it's a small amount every day. So you don't want to say you have to play eight hours a day to unlock everything. You just want to say, hey, just play 20, 30 minutes a day. But the fact that they're logging back in all the time to come back to your game creates the habit of, I enjoy this game, I play this game, I'm invested in this game. I feel like that's the, the added bonus. It's not necessarily driving up hours, it's driving up engagement on a regular yeah. basis to, to I, habit form. Also and, and some games, chore. Sorry, go on. It also makes it a bit of a chore for a lot mm. of players to feel that they have to log on, you know, cool. every single day and like do their dailies. So that way at the end of the month, they like complete their battle pass. So that's yeah. been yeah. like a long running complaint in the gaming industry. I think for a while in the past few years is that idea of like too much FOMO in games of like, oh, I have to log on or else I'm not going to get this thing and I have to do it like every day for like an hour. Then if I want to play more in one game, it's a little bit annoying and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, 
games have tried to approach daily quests in this kind of way to have people to log on every day. So um, I think it started with like Hearthstone. I don't know what the year was, but like, hey, if you log on and you can unlock like a card pack if you play three games of Hearthstone or whatever. Um, even in Valorant, they have those dailies, right? Where it's like, hey, hit 15 headshots with, uh, I can't remember what the guns are called. Wow, I'm such an amateur. Um, uh, but like, what if you got like 15 headshots in a day and you get like 1,000 experience? But it's so, like 1,000 experience. Like, what is that worth to a player? Um, I, I feel like to treat that problem, like what if you just gain the level if you complete the daily quest in your battle pass? Like, you know, you have 50 levels in a battle pass or 100. You, may, you complete like 50 dailies. Um, and then the bonus experience and you get a level every day. I feel like that's very that's a very noticeable and tangible reward for logging in and playing a daily thing. So um, I think there are a few things they could do there to make it uh, feel better for the players who don't have a lot of time on their hands. I want to move on and talk about something that we had touched very uh, vaguely on just before with the shift with Aaron Keller talking about 5v5 and making it very much a, okay, well, now we're going to tell you shit about PvP. We've given you the PvE teasers here. Expect some lore, some cinematic stuff like that. But now we're moving into some PvP stuff. And the releases over the last couple of months, there hasn't been anything that's shaken the community like the announcement of 5v5. And so the the obvious question here, Siegel, as a player that was right there from the beginning of the game, fell in love with 6v6, watched Hero Limit 1 be introduced. Oh, was, yeah. Yeah, was like, I, I mean, you're still around for the, the 2v2 discussion as well. Played in the Overwatch League. Like, you have a lot of experience with the different aspects of the community that are coming together to ponder this question of... Is 5v5 a good future for the game? Is this a, a direction that's going to be positive? It's a change, but is it going to be an improvement? What, what's your thoughts on this? I think I look at it from the developer's perspective, which is it probably the most, like, from my experience, it's the easiest way to get an idea for how the game is doing. So I want you to think about how much of a radical shift it must be for a developer to go into a meeting and be like, guys, or, I think the game should be 5v5. And then how insanely different they must be to like, what are they trying to fix, right? I think that's the core, like okay. what is the, the, the problem that 5v5 is trying to fix? And so to me, it's a mixture of a few different things. They talked about like, we wanna give you the idea to solo carry more. We wanna like have, you know, obviously matchmaking and stuff like that. Um, my take is just, Ever since the beginning of the game, tanks in Overwatch have been a very, very sad role. <laughs> like all the all the tanks in Overwatch are really sad. And so if you're going to make a sequel, you need to solve one, the queue time problem. And the queue yeah. time problem is after they added roll queue, which has been amazing for the quality of games, it turns out that the quantity of those games is really hard. Like it's not uncommon to wait eight minutes for a game, right? I don't yeah. know, like, what Josh said, your rank in ranked, how often do you wait if you play DPS without a flex pass? With, uh, I'm not sure. Um, I think it can be anywhere up to 10 minutes, even when it's in, like, plat level DPS games. I Yeah. It, without a priority pass. I think the average would probably be somewhere around six, seven, something like that. Yeah, and so I think... The first thing, if I'm designing Overwatch 2, and I'm going in there, I go, we got to fix this problem. Like, 
Now, on just the strict numbers, okay, we can reduce the game from 6v6 to 5v5. Now we need literally one less tank for matchmaking. So therefore we fix the problem just kind of automatically, right? A little bit. But the core design issue is why does no one want to play this just like role? Why does, why does everyone hate it? Yeah. And I think that is the actual problem that they're trying to fix is why does no one want to play tank? Why does no one have fun playing this role? And sure there are the diehards of the tank world that love playing it and it's super unique like i don't think you're going to get an experience playing reinhardt in any other video game and how cool it is but why does why is it so small and so that's they have to fix that and that's why they're doing 5v5 i think yeah i i agree with that big picture sentiment um uh, the, the reason why i'm optimistic about 5v5 i mean we really should have had someone on this panel who actually uh, despises 5v5 uh, because i agree <laughs> completely with uh Seagull as well. If I'm a developer, I look at what my player base enjoys, um, what heroes are getting played the most, the characters that are being enjoyed the most. And it's genuinely like Genji, Widowmaker, Hanzo, those kind of heroes. And like, yeah, that's Seagull Mercy. said, like, there are some Mercy, true. Uh, there, there are some Reinhardt diehards, um, but there's not a ton of people who are like, yeah, Sigma is my, my favorite hero. I just love playing Sigma all the time. Um, so I, I, I look at that very big picture as well. Like, hey, I think most people are going to enjoy this kind of gameplay where it's a lot more emphasized on DPS, on supports. If more people enjoy that kind of gameplay, um, unlocking those heroes and making them feel more important, that's going to be good for the game. Okay. Um, well... I'm, I'm on board with both of you as well. I share very similar sentiments. But for the purpose of this discussion, I'm going to act as devil's advocate here and prod you both with some very common arguments I see from people who dislike this change. The first one being that what you've done with Overwatch over the last five years is cultivate a player base that loves the core game, right? You've, if people are still hanging around five years later... They love what the game is. They, they're not bothered necessarily about what the game could be. In, in, they, they like it as it is right now. They like 6v6. They like having tank synergy. You know, the, They like the game as it is. So what about all the people who actually enjoy 6v6, uh, who enjoy it for reasons like, um, I enjoy playing the off-tank role and supporting my main tank, playing Zarya and just you know, not having the responsibility of the entire game being on my shoulders, but I have this, like, supportive tank role. What about people like that? Are they just getting uh, shafted here? I Fuck think... The Fuck them! <laughs> I was going to be diplomatic. No, 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 here we go. No, no, it's... Okay. Okay, listen. The, that, that's a meme, by the way. I don't mean that intent, like, in a serious fashion. But <laughs> I think if you are, like, in that perspective, think about it. The diehard Overwatch fan who's still playing Overwatch ranked consistently to this day, no content, no updates, content rot. Do you really think those guys are like that group of players is not going to immediately buy Overwatch 2 and play 5v5 regardless? I, I definitely think they will. Yeah. yeah. It's my, so, yeah. My opinion is if you're still playing now, that's my very hooked. cynical take. It's over for you. Like you're addicted. Get yeah. <laughs> you should have got out while you could. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I think I think the goal is still for the developers to cater to that experience and make that still possible. You know, if you really love the way Saria plays, I was going to say Diva, but here we go, Saria. Um, if you want to be that 
tank that just like does a shit ton of damage and is able to just like frontline your team and just like mow over the opponents. Let, let's try to make that still viable in Overwatch 2. And you might not have a tank partner to like combine with or uh, sync your abilities with, but you can still do that with DPS heroes. You can still build that synergy. Um, if you're a diva who really just like loves protecting your team with the defense matrix, and then you're able to use your boosters to go into the backline, kill a senyala if you want, let, let's try to make that viable still. Um, and we'll be talking more about um, the, the tank later on. But you can still build that synergy with Tracer players. If you're a Winston player, why, why can't you build that synergy with a Tracer to like synchronize your dives together? Um, to me, that is a... a as satisfactory as it is playing Reinhardt and Saria together. Um, if you're a Saria, combining your Graviton Surge with a Hanzo's Dragon Strike, um, if you're uh, an Orisa, combining with a Senyata with Discord Orb, spamming down your opponent's shields using Halt, etc. Like, there are still synergies within the game that exist uh, outside of tank synergies with the off-tank and the main tank. Sure. So I, I feel like the argument that, like... Um, you know, like you're going to lose a ton of that gameplay. I, I think that the Overwatch developers will still try to cater to that experience and then promote those synergies or teamwork for different roles to make sure you still can play an off tank in Overwatch 2, whether they're called Brawlers or whatever, um, and still feel like you're, you're getting a similar experience that you fell in love with in Overwatch 2 um, as you did in Overwatch 1. Mm. let's dive into the tank role a little bit as well because the, the brawler aspect is something that they brought up to the transformation of a kind of what the tank's role is going to be that a lot of the small coordinated things that people associate with kind of having a partner do come from the tanks though it's like if you're a dps player with another dps player you you can coordinate in dives and kind of how you how you're moving around and taking crossfires and stuff but you don't i don't know for me when i think about overwatch duos there isn't there isn't something as close-knit as having like your azaria playing with the rhine and they have to push forward and take your bubble and back off and it's all playing around that or having like the halt and the hooks with an orissa hog combo that kind of stuff it does feel quite unique is there not a uniqueness that's being taken away here with the tank duos that that isn't really replicable elsewhere like the, what what do you do when you're a zen and a mercy you just heal the zen it's not as dynamic as what you do in a in a tank partnership is it sure but i i think those players also have to recognize how powerful that kind of synergy is because of how unique it is to the game um i i think we, I, we didn't mention this when we talked about the future of 5v5 but like i i think that seagull said that tanks have been very sad for a long time I'd actually not entirely agree with that. I think the game has centered around tank viability and what tanks are the strongest for a very long time. That forces like, hey, Orisa is meta now because Orisa and Diva is just like, or Orisa and Sigma is just like ridiculously strong. Like, uh, hey, Reinhardt got buffed for whatever reason, so now Reinhardt and Saria is just like ridiculous. And yeah, some of that comes down to like how viable is Moira and Lucio and, and stuff like that. But I still feel like tanks have been powerful for so long in being able to take down DPS players by themselves. If you're Winston and you can dive on a Widowmaker and just kill a Widowmaker by yourself, you can dive on a Sendiara, you can dive on a Mercy and like do all these things, you're very impactful. And establishing tank synergy is just like ridiculous. Tank, tank combinations, uh, because of how they enable each other, 
just like takes over the game in a way that I don't think is healthy, regardless of how fun it is as for those time periods. That is exactly where I was going to eventually get to, I think, which is all of the amazing synergies of Overwatch in that regard are awesome when they're good. But when they don't exist, the game feels horrible. Like if you, how do you put this? Like imagine so many times on ladder when you log on and the other team, for example, is playing double shield and your tanks aren't, and it's a double shield meta, how gross it feels because you know you're probably already screwed. There's so much pressure on the tank roll because of that synergy. And so when I say that tanks are sad, it isn't, there's a difference between being effective and powerful and satisfying. And I think that, tanks over the years of overwatch have moved further and further away from like i'm a tank i'm a reinhardt to i'm a dps that also has a shield and so that's sort of the direction i think they're going with overwatch 2 except they're trying to just limit it to one instead of two but right. um i i completely agree johnny though the the idea that like this synergy does take over the game they have been in my opinion i think tanks have been the most impactful role since ever i think actually i agree with that well, we they had triple insane. tank, quad tank were like insane <laughs> metas. We've never had a uh, we've never had a quad support or a quad DPS meta, but we have had. Yeah, triple tank. DPS for a while, but yeah? it, you know it, it it died Even off. Even that bit. fell off to Diva, yeah. right? Yeah, it, very it quickly got fell off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean that. What, so how do you marry the two? That tanks have been powerful, and yet people don't want to play them. Like, right, because those are two different aspects. You can be really impactful, but you can be either boring or not engaging to play, that kind of thing. Do you feel like reducing it to one tank solves both? So now you can just make one busted-ass, really fun hero that doesn't kill the game because there's only one of them? Is that the is that the the big thing that the developers are going for here? We can just make Zarya unbelievably strong, but she's not oppressive because there's only ever one of her is that the is that the goal for these developers i don't know that's that's such a difficult topic because it's going to come down to tuning and balance as much as it comes down to design it's so confusing to me the way you put it like that too as to the actual idea i guess that like so we're taking tanks and we basically want to make them every tank is going to essentially become an off tank so we want to make our game a little less tank centric so less oh. shields to shoot at um, less like health, right? There's no like three tanks running at you type of idea that they got rid of that years ago, but you get the idea, right? And so it, I am confused a little bit as to the gameplay side of things of how everything is going to work because it's exactly what you just said of like, if the two tanks and their synergy are already so powerful and now you're going to make, just reduce them to one and make them even more powerful. Well, that, is it just to appeal to DPS players who just can actually play tank because it's basically a DPS? I mean, I yeah. assume that not all of them will be DPS kind of centric. Like, if you if you looked at the rework of, well, I mean, even Ryan, it, it looks like he's been designed to play much more effectively, aggressively with his, like, crazy wiggle on his charge and the double fire strikes. It feels like you're supposed to be able to have large impact, have that kind of, like, I am a, I am a powerful unit on the battlefield. I have the um, Kaiser. Feel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like... With the removal of one of the tank rolls, it really frees up the, um, the battlefield for having more utility as a single tank. So, for example, if you are a, sing a, a single Winston tanking for your team, maybe 
one bubble every 15 seconds is not enough to make the tank role enjoyable. But because you don't have a diva with the defense matrix, or because you don't have Sora bubbles, there's some room for the developers to play around there to make Winston still impactful um, utility-wise for your team. I think damage is very scary to play around with when it comes to how impactful a hero is, especially in the tank role, because they're not designed to be... They shouldn't be the main damage dealers to begin with. If you're playing Winston in 5v5, you should not be able to just jump on the enemy backline and take out two people. I think that's dangerous for the health of the game and like the responsibility you put on the tanks once more. Okay. What I do think the tank role in Overwatch 2 should cater to is how much support you can actually bring to your team in terms of utility. Like how many shields can you drop? How much defense matrix does a diva have? And um, those kind of things. And removing one of the tank roles, you really enable some of these tanks to feel impactful in a way that the enemy team does not feel as um, oppressed by when it comes to like how much damage a Saurya can output, how much, how many people can a Winston pick off. Um, for example, I think Wrecking Ball, you could actually make a ton of fun things with Wrecking Ball that m doesn't make him oriented about diving on the enemy team, slamming, then just picking people off. Like you can actually make a ton of fun utility abilities for Wrecking Ball that like changes the way the battlefield plays out for your DPS players um, and, and things like that. So, okay, what do you what I, do you mean by that? Because that's quite vague. What what kind of things are you thinking there? Well, for example, like you know, with a minefield, you know, when you drop a minefield as Wrecking Ball. It, it, it heavily impacts the way DPS players, your enemy DPS players, can navigate around the map. Yeah. For example, like what high ground can they take? Like you can just drop minefield in a certain place on the map and the opposing team can't really go there for like 10 to 15 sure. seconds. Um, and I, it, it's more those kind of abilities that I feel like you now have more room in that category of abilities um, that you can give tanks. Because if you... If you instead balance Wrecking Ball, so like, hey, they're only one tank now, so we're going to increase the damage Pile Driver does so he can go in and pick off like heroes by himself. Um, I'd rather see giving tanks um, ability to like block damage for your team, um, prevent like Primal Rage, like we see here, for example, like being able to knock your opponents away to um, change up their positioning. Uh, just essentially have... I don't know if I'm making this point well, but I have an opportunity to change the way team fights take place indirect, like changing the team fights indirectly rather than directly being the players who eliminate opponents and cool. gives you a direct man advantage. Um, so you mean like utility beyond damage or shields? Yeah, I mean, shields is good because it's mitigation, right, for your team. But I, I feel like damage, strictly making the hero feel good by just giving them tons of damage, um, I, I feel like that should be a damage player's role. That should be their goal, should be to um, pick people off and get those eliminations. And it's about the tank setting that up and being the difference maker in how they're enabling their team, disabling the enemy team, um, making it harder or easier for your team to set up those eliminations in the first place. I think, I, I've not played a ton of League of Legends, but there is like a brawler role in League of Legends, role, right? Where they have like 5,000 HP and they just walk around and knock people around and just like, they're, they're just being annoying, right? I think that for most, most tanks in Overwatch 2, I think that should be the goal rather than to give them like twice the HP and have fun with the Tesla cannon. You can like go in and just kill the enemy team by yourself with an honor boost. Mm.
That, the issue I still have is sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. So the issue I still have is all of the stuff that we talk about. I don't know if it's necessarily like it may be more satisfying to play to be so impactful on the game, but I don't know if it's very healthy for the game still to go to 5v5 in that manner, just for the simple fact that I think every tank player is going to get yelled at and micromanaged so hard for their hero choice in a random solo queue game. You go on ladder and your team wants you to play one character because there's so much focus on the one person, what they choose. And Overwatch already has that problem to a big extent in la like your average ladder game. Like, oh, I could do this, but I really need that other character to swap on my team and they aren't doing it. So I guess they're throwing GG. Like how many times if you've played Overwatch for a long time, you know exactly that feeling and also exactly what it feels like to be on the other side of things too, where you want to play a character, but you don't want to be that person who's like, uh, you know, it's do I really want to lock in Torb right now? But actually Torb's pretty good. So I'll take that back. <laughs> yeah. Uh but I, I definitely see where you're coming from there. And especially when it, you consider that the tank role is going to have, what, how, how many tanks are there in the game? Eight or something? I, I actually don't know off the top of my head. Something but like that, yeah. It feels it's like it's something right. like that when you combine the main tanks and the off tanks together. If we assume that there was a couple more added to the game with the release of Overwatch 2, we're talking about a wide pool of tank heroes of which only one can be played for your team at any time. So depending on the balance... How many are really going to be viable? A, a couple, three maybe, if we're talking about a really healthy state of the game, but potentially more. But it's, it does feel like there's going to be a huge amount of responsibility on that one player, which is why I brought up earlier the idea of this off-tank role disappearing, because it's not like the off-tanks have disappeared. You can still play Zarya, you can still play D.Va, you can still play Sigma, whatever. But the idea of being the supportive tank the one who doesn't have the responsibility of directing and leading all of the fights and taking your positioning on the map, that feels like it's disappearing from the game. And instead, if you pick the tank role, you have all of the responsibility. You might have all of the power as well, depending on how they balance it. But you are the tip of the spear, not necessarily in terms of damage output, but in terms of like leading your team, being the person at the front, setting the tempo, all of these things are going to make the, the role even more um, stressful, it feels like, for the average player to play. And that's where I worry about tank players too, is that the role was already not really well-loved. And if, if they don't make it so it feels just orgasmic to play a tank, then you run into all of these other issues with the fact there's only one of you on a team. And I, I feel like that could put people off as well and if you if you reduce it to half the amount of tanks required but people are half as likely to pick tank then you haven't solved anything as it as it applies to queue times it feels very unlikely that the tank player base would reduce 50 percent. that's a crazy difference in behavior but even some minor level of reduction would would mitigate the improvements that you've had especially if some of those then go on to try and play dps instead of tank i think yeah. They've, they've done a lot of models. They'll probably be fine on that end. But I know what you mean. Uh, it's, it's just, I don't have much to say. I'm just, I'm also very concerned about the, uh, the basically, Overwatch is, in my opinion, one of the more toxic games I've played. Not necessarily because it's a toxic community, but rather because the game actually orients you to be that way towards your teammates so often because you are so reliant on your teammates to make certain hero choices. I get very worried when suddenly we have one player who has to pick 
well, exactly what you just said. One tank is so much focus is on that one player. And I get very worried about the grand scheme of things of uh, do players actually want that level of responsibility? I don't I don't know. So this is I find this conversation very uh, interesting, actually. Um, do you. Oh, my God, where do I even start? Uh, <laughs> uh, so I feel like that kind of logic, and I don't blame you for it, by the way. It starts with, of course, the game being unbalanced. Like one composition is by far the best, and that's what we're going to play. Okay. And that also, you know, ties into map design. For example, King's Row, um, and and you know, in Overwatch Two, if you if your tank picks Roadhog, like I'm sorry, I can't I can't really help you there. Like it's not probably not going to be better. Um, but I feel like if you actually take a look at the Overwatch League, uh, I don't know if you want to go there with the conversation. Yeah, but sure. like currently, we have we have a pretty diverse meta it stands currently in the overwatch league um you know like if if you're a team that prefers playing slower with like reese and reinhardt you can make that happen if you prefer playing winston compositions you can make that happen a couple of teams specialize in wrecking ball you can make that happen i would feel like that is almost more emphasized in overwatch 2 rather than duplicating the responsibility of a single tank so by just removing the off tank you you, you i i don't feel like you're doubling down on the main tank to make the right choice i actually think you're giving some of the power back to the damage players in being able to carry without relying on your tanks as much uh for, for the outcome of the match i agree actually but um and the simple facts that like there's less of a front line, which means you will naturally have more flanking opportunities for those DPS players. So they will just have, with less players, more of an opportunity to do whatever they want. Um, so I understand that. There's like a lot of different aspects. But the I guess there's the difference when we start talking about metas and what's actually good and what's bad. There's a significant difference in what's actually good and bad and what players think is good and bad. So yes. an example is what you describe is in the Overwatch League, like there's all this diversity and like people can play whatever they want, but... If you go on ladder, I guarantee you that most people are not actually fully aware of what's going on and what is actually good or bad. They have their own preconceived ideas of what's good or bad, and they will get mad at those players for playing what they think is not meta, even though it's probably statistically okay. Yeah, and I think so much of balance comes down to perception as well. Not just reality, you are directly battling against perception. And one of the problems with Overwatch League's perception, right? Oh, sorry, not Overwatch League, but Overwatch as the game's perception right now is that people still perceive it as being a game that over the entire history has been profoundly unbalanced. Even though the current state of the game is, at least as far oh, as I can remember, as balanced as it has ever been. Yeah, that yeah I would agree does, with that. That does not lead people to believe it will continue like that in the future because it hasn't been like that in the past. And so they expect it at any point to go back to how it was in the past. You don't necessarily know that it's always going to be a forwards trajectory towards more balance, especially when you have 5v5 coming in and things being scattered all over the place. When we're theory crafting, like the way that the game could go, we, I mean, there, there's so many different directions. There's so many different variables that impact everything. And I, I feel sorry for the developers who have to try and balance a situation like that when they don't have player data as well. As they move into Overwatch 2, they're going to be working with very limited data pools, either internal balance or then uh, some kind of closed beta balance, I think they said that they wanted to do at some point. So that's, that's going to be a serious challenge for them. Even assuming they did get it to a balanced state, 
I think there's also the the like perception problem that um that oh i i think overwatch has a number of perception problems as well in terms of like the content side of it too but specifically talking about tanks and the and the meta side of it that tank has always been that important role and so even if the tank doesn't end up even if it ends up being much more of a facilitating role i think people are still going to think about it at least for the first year as being the defining portion of the game um which which is I think it's understandable because that's where you've been in the past five years. You, it's been the tanks define the metagame. If it goes to DPS define it, and the tanks can do whatever the hell they want, it'll take some time for community perception to catch up. Yeah. Um, so, so in that, like, how, how the game will play out, um, I, I, wanna, I want you to shut me down or actually, like, see if you agree with me. Because okay. I got some wishful thinking going on here about like how... <laughs> I, it's copium hopium i don't know what it is it, it, it's it's like i'm dreaming mate and you need to knock me out you need to just punch me right in the face <laughs> get me out of this because uh talking about um the, the, the overwatch league impact and how actually the game will look because it's 5v5 now um because it's more emphasized on five players rather than six players you have more individual impact right because it, it, just how the numbers work you know there it's Every player in a 5v5 setting has more responsibility um, in the outcome of the game than you would have in a 6 versus 6 environment. So um, considering how Overwatch League teams would be successful in that capacity, um, finding something that works for them, etc., I think we're going to see... We're going to put like a microscope on players' play style um, and their hero pool to see what works best for them. So let me give you an example to actually explain this properly. So, for example, if you want to make a Reinhardt composition work in the Overwatch League currently, you can probably get away with having even a bad Reinhardt because if you have good enough of a Symmetra player, um, good enough of a, a Junkrat or whatever, like you have six players on your team and you can probably get away with playing um, playing a composition with a bad player because the composition is so strong when you put all the abilities together and, and when you really make it work. Same goes for like double shield. If you have a main tank that really can't play Orisa, it doesn't really matter. Just plonk down the shield and like your snipers or maybe your off tank will do the rest of the work. Um, my dream scenario for 5v5 and the Overwatch League is that because each individual player have more impact is that their... Like how good they are at a certain hero or how they play a certain hero will be way more pronounced and beautiful to watch. So if you have, for example, um, Gaga, who's fantastic on Wrecking Ball, it is my belief and my dream that he will be able to accomplish that on Wrecking Ball because he's so good at that hero and because he plays it um, a very special way and same for like a Widowmaker players. We have different sets of Widowmaker players. We have very aggressive Widowmaker players like Pine. For example, it's the best historical example that just like flanks, you know, gets all these picks. Um, and that's for example. But then you also have defensive winemakers who play like play Overwatch like it's Counter Strike, right? Just like hold the angles. They're just sitting there. Um, because you have more resp responsibility individually in Overwatch Two, um, I feel like that play style and those hero pool weaknesses and strengths will be more defined, bringing us a more diverse uh, meta. Uh, do, do you think that's true? Or false? Am I totally on the copium there, wishing for like variety and people playing through their strengths rather than trying to make 
compositions work even though they're not good at them. Oh boy. That's it's a big it's a big thing, okay? I'm just <laughs> okay. I bet I bet in like I bet in my bedroom and just like at night, like I sleep on the pillow and I'm just like You know what you sound oh, like, Johnny? You sound like you just want this game to be as like intellectually free as like Dota. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I know you're a Dota fan. <laughs> And you want everyone if to play. If you're good at Rubik, you can make it work. Okay? Exactly. You want every player to be like, I am so good at this character, I can make it work. And you yeah. think that any team should have their own team identity to make that work. And we've actually had that. Like, I haven't kept up that much with Overwatch League in like the past year or two, but like, I'm pretty sure that's kind of how it's been, right? Like, correct me if I'm wrong. It has this year. Yeah, this year has been surprisingly open. But like I said, that doesn't guarantee it'll stay like that in the future or it'll yeah. be like that in Overwatch 2. It could just be a little golden paradise that we've stumbled upon and will frequently disappear to. Or it could stay like this and it means the developers have figured something out. It's, it's so hard to know. So I think you're going to... So this is generally how the life uh, the, the cycle of the game plays out from my own personal experience is we are very fortunate right now that we have no content and this is the benefit. We have no content, which means there's no new characters coming out. There's nothing that's happening. So the balance team can just sit there and they can just refine and refine. And then now we end up in this amazing spot where like you have all this diversity at a pro level. People are playing whatever they want. That's our identity. But when Overwatch 2 comes out, how many characters do you guys think Overwatch 2 is going to add? What is their tuning going to be like? Are some just going to be obscenely overpowered? Probably on release. And so how it's actually going to work out in reality is you're going to load up Overwatch 2. And for the first, like, probably six months of the game coming out, what Johnny said is probably going to be true. Because everyone is going to be so bad that you can do whatever you want. And it's going to be great. And then people are going to find out those specific little problem comps that are just like, if you're really good at it, it turns out that requires too much practice to beat it. So I guess we'll all just practice that team comp together and we'll all be really good. And people just like follow the trends, right, for a little bit. And it's really going to come down to like tuning and balance to some extent, because I think a lot of what we're describing is because it's been so refined that we have no content. And so if they go back to the cycle of like, I, I can't help but give the example, what, what, Okay, they're just going to add another Brigida. Now what? Yeah. Remember launch Brigida? <laughs> I do. Remember launch yeah. BAP? I do. Like it they, was uh, absurd. There are some pretty absurd states that uh, characters can launch in. And given that they have no player data, I mean, they're going to have to take data probably from like betas or just feedback and stuff like that. It's never going to be perfect on launch. You're going to be in for a total shit show of balance for a long time. But because it's all going to be so new, we're going to be in that golden era for like at least probably six months. Where we just do whatever we want. And then it'll right. it'll it'll have to get more refined from that. But anyway, back to what Johnny said. Uh, I do think that we can come back to this uh, place, this golden paradise of like you play what you're strong at and you have a team comp that it can work and it's viable. And that's cool. That should be realistically like the goal. And it should be like map dependent, right? Where like you have this identity of, you know, this certain comp, which is good on this map pool. And that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, the 5v5 aspect and how it plays into that is an interesting one too because I know that a bunch of players, the, the, a lot of the community was very negative, at least a lot of the competitive, hardcore competitive community was quite negative to 5v5 when the announcement came out. Not just because the off-tank crawler disappeared, but also because they were thinking about how the game would would play out and a lot of them came to the conclusion that, well, how do you play if you... if the enemy team gets a pick. How do you play 4v5 in that scenario? But I think the more I've thought about it, the more I 
believe that it would be easier to win a 4v5 fight than a 5v6 in a similar yeah. way that it's easier to win a 1v2 than it is a 5v6. If, if you can isolate more individual uh, elements of the game rather than having getting swarmed on by an entire group, then you have more chances of being able to turn around uh, a problematic scenario for you. And so I, I, I do see some of the element of that, Jonathan, where you're talking about more individuality being on show that won't just be in ranked games you have the ability to pop off, but also when it comes to being able to turn fights around and have more strategic depth to the game, it's possible that that could be a consequence of it. Because at the moment in Overwatch, ever since competitive Overwatch has been played, I remember this stat being up in 2017, like real early on in the game's uh, development as a competitive title. If you got a pick, you had an 80% chance of just winning the team fight off the back of that. That means yeah. that you, you're playing for that initial advantage and then you're pretty much being able to secure the rest of the fight off the back of it. This, in, in 5v5, I would anticipate that to be less. I don't know how much less, but it feels like if your DPS are empowered to make bigger plays, you can, you can respond a little more. Uh, and if you take it to an extreme like like how Valorant plays, where you can turn the tide of a round just in a single moment and very easily get a returning pick. The impact of that opening kill is still big, but it's not like a guarantee. You as a viewer at home are not like, oh, well, they're 4v5, it's just over. It's just over, that's a round done. It doesn't play out like that. And that's, that's also part of my hope for Overwatch too, is that the game will be less um, determined by your very opening moves. And there'll be more opportunity to turn fights around because that I feel is yeah. something that's been a little missing from the game. It's a bit of like a, it's just a, there's no other game on the market where you just group up and take team fight, group up and take team fight, group up and take team fight. For MOBAs, yeah. there's like a laning phase, there's ganking, there's that kind of stuff that has more of a flow to it. And yeah. if, if I think about to how we used to play TF2 as well, you had, to, you had to spread your team out to mark flanks. You couldn't just group up and maneuver around and, and kind of death ball your way around. It feels like there's... It, and Overwatch isn't always played like that. There's definitely maps where you want to spread yourselves out and, and play a little more thin. But as a general concept, we do tend to just group team fight, which I think might change a little bit as we go towards 5v5. Yeah. yeah, I, I agree. So. Do you want that to talk would about... be the dream. <laughs> That, yeah. that would be the dream either. I mean, we have seen some, you know, uh, you know, more, more and more teams investing, like even if they're a man down, like investing ultimates, trying to turn it, etc. So like, well, I think we're moving there slightly. Um, do you want to talk about Sojourn? Yes. Okay, let's talk about the new hero that they have, they have actually announced. Seagull, are you going to be a Sojourn main? Is, is Siegel going to come out there with the rail gun and show everybody that it's like 1992 and, and you're going to be at the top of the game again? <laughs> Nah, I'll play. I'll be a Genji main, dude. Okay, gonna go back to Genji and not fat Genji <laughs> Maybe anymore. Maybe he'll be good. Go back to Maybe Genji. he'll be good in then Overwatch too, dude. Yeah. Maybe he won't be a Nanoblade bot. You don't know. <laughs> True. Have you seen Sojourn being played? What What are your thoughts on this hero? Because I, I think that she is definitely tapping into that more core shooter uh, demographic of people that loved old like Quake games and stuff like that, where you want your aim to be impactful. I can't help but when I look at a character like that, I'm I'm just going. Uh, I I am very concerned about the impact of hit scan rolls. This is more like meta, I guess. More the hit scan roll in Overwatch Two. I can't imagine because when I when I see Sojourn and stuff like that, I actually get worried about Widowmaker the most. When yeah. I when I think of five v five widows popping off, you only get one tank. How are you going to try and handle? It's like good luck, you know. 
Um, yeah. Officer tanks that give them more utility. I'm just going mean, Even if you give them more utility, if you think about a 6v6 fight where you can have um, your Winston and your Diva kind of ping-ponging to put pressure and still being able to be in the fight, if you're in a 5v5 setting with one tank, if you're playing a Winston, Diva, Wrecking Ball, whatever, you really have to kind of go for that Widow and leave the rest of your team behind or hope that you can play outside of her line of sight. It does definitely feel like it makes the thought process of the tank much more difficult there, that you have to decide whether or not you want to commit all of your resources to doing that. Because I don't think they're going to give them like a, a, a leap that's never off cooldown. If there's a sojourn or a widow popping off, you're going to have to try and deal with it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're making some changes to the hitscan stuff, right? We saw that recently in the experimental card. Yeah. So they, they, they definitely know that I think it's a problem. Like how are, you know, if you don't have a Winston Diva, how are you going to deal with characters like this that are just like, pumping in the damage and then you have a sniping ability at that um i don't know i i you know i that does not concern me right now because all i want to do is play sojourn myself feed in like 3200 rating uh because this hero looks so much fun like <laughs> amazing character am i right in thinking that you do damage to charge up the um railgun aspect and if you pop yeah. your ult you can just railgun whenever is that the idea yep as far as i think it also charges off shields Mm, okay okay interesting but it, the actual primary fire is like a projectile as well it's a fast moving projectile and then you have the hit scan railgun element is that how that works too i think so it looks i mean say what you want about overwatch but like dude these concepts for characters like that are so cool that where they come yeah. up with weapon ideas and everything like that yeah i yeah. am it's going to be really cool. I, I don't know what her real. abilities are other than that. I know her ultimate lets her railgun instantly, but I don't know if we saw her utility skill other than that. I honestly don't know. I don't know. I can't remember, honestly. Do you, do you remember, Jonathan? No, I don't. I mean, there's probably like, if there is, there's probably a Wikipedia on it, right? Yeah, they didn't really talk probably. about Sojourn too much, though. In the, like, the recent um, developer comments and stuff, they haven't really gone into the heroes. Uh, they also haven't announced any other new heroes though you've got to imagine that for a release the size of overwatch 2 there's got to be more than one right is that just my oh, yeah. is that just my copium speaking but i've what oh, sorry so let's Bren, let's think about it brenner's just come out of the gym and he's just shouted over to me i think there's six where the fuck have you pulled that from <laughs> you've been you've been having chats with aaron keller have you i think there's six i don't know I thought I heard that there might be six. Where, where'd he get the idea? Bren, tell us. I, maybe I've just leaked something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if we think about it, right? Think about the time where the last Overwatch character was released. What was the, what was the last Overwatch Echo. one Echo. character? Echo. That was originally scheduled for BlizzCon 2019. Yeah, and then they delayed it, and it yeah. came out a little bit later. We Before that, we typically get what? I wanted all the all the characters came out on a very strict schedule, right? So it was usually I think three characters per year. Was it two or three? I forget which. I think it was three. I, I think it was three. Was it and so yeah. if you look at it, okay, just think just think about how, when Overwatch Two is supposed to come out and their usual hero release schedule. That is what I would consider the minimum amount of characters we can expect in Overwatch Two. So if it's three per year and the last character was originally scheduled to come out BlizzCon 2019, then you have three characters 2020. Three characters 2021 so at least six right maybe that's where bren came up with his magical six from. yeah 
But of course, we don't know when it's coming out in 2022. But oh, if it we, comes out yeah. in the middle of the year, there could be even more. That's what I so like at my personal minimum. I think it's minimum. We don't, we don't even know it's coming out in 2022. They haven't even said that. But okay, there's I mean, no way. There's stop. No, listen, stop, stop, stop. stop. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. The The only thing they've said is they're going to release it when it's ready. I, they, they, it has to be a 2022 release, though, surely, because we were thinking it might even be at the end of this year. It's only we because of the... We thought it would be 2021. It's, yeah, yeah, it's only it because of the earnings call that we, oh. we gave up on that hope. It's a good job they did announce it early as well. I think they've done a reasonable job of... Um, of quashing expectations when they get too high you know they make sure that they have a, the, the, it's because they don't give you are... any information so yeah but that can lead to wild <laughs> rampant speculation can't it yeah like if you don't give any info people are like there's gonna be 92 new heroes and a thousand new maps that's it's been quiet for so long that people have like started refuting speculation it's like dude why do you bother speculating like people are ready to shut down each other it's like yeah i think 2021 is like dude why are you bothering like, come on, yeah. That's why when we start talking about stuff like the individual characters right now, uh, you're gonna see a lot more hype. Probably, I would imagine how they did it with the initial Overwatch. Do you remember in Overwatch One's beta, they were they had like specific character videos that did one after another to hype up to release. So I think they had like one on Tracer, and then they had like one on another yeah. character. And it was actual gameplay. Uh, oh, you mean like the hero previews kind of thing? Yeah, and so I could imagine it leading into Overwatch 2's release, if they copy the same strat and they do the same thing, I would love to see them just be like, yeah, so here's this character and like here's this character and into like a beta launch hype moment, hype train. It'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. sort of like Valorant kind of does that, right? Yeah, I think uh, it Yeah, I mean, Valorant's release... Valorant's release cycle is absurd as well. They were trying to release like six new heroes, uh, six new agents a year, I think, which to me is just, that, that is overwhelming. Once, one every two months is, it, that feels like too much. I know that we've been yep. in a bit of a drought and Overwatch people are just begging for content, but there is a point at which it, it messes so much with the game that to bring it back to what you were saying a little earlier, Siegel, about the fact that we're in a balanced meta right now because we haven't just had new shit being thrown in constantly. There's, there, is some, there is some level of equilibrium to be found there between just throwing new stuff at the game constantly and actually having a refined game. What would your ideal release schedule look like? For me, I actually, I was okay with three or four characters a year if it was synced up with other forms of content. Like, I think, you know, one of the issues I have right now in Overwatch is like a new season starts and it, it's like meaningless, right? We're on like season 20. Cool or something i don't even know the number anymore it's so high yeah yeah i mean diablo did that diablo 3 as well people just like i don't care about season 34 and barbarians guessing who said like stop that uh i i, I don't really know i haven't i haven't thought about it too much side joe you for, for me i think at the beginning of overwatch 2 i think it makes most sense for their content releases to be focused around pve and allow some time for the pvp portion with all of these new heroes and maps to settle down a little bit unless they're planning to hold certain heroes back and release the, you know like they've already built them all they've already built like 12 new heroes and they they release six and then they drip feed you the next uh, unless they're planning to do that i would rather there be a little little portion of time where they announce that they're going to release future heroes, but they don't actually do it immediately. 
Because I feel like the game's already going to be in that kind of six-month golden period at the beginning of the game, where people don't really know what to play, people are getting used to the new mechanics, maybe something in terms of, like, the movement speed they were considering altering. There might be other mechanical differences like that that change the game on a fairly fundamental level. And so giving the player base some time to get used to that, get used to the, the new meta, the new maps, the new 5v5 setting, I think makes sense, and just load it with PvE content in that time. And then after that, yeah, I think having something like every every season, every quarter of the year, let's say, you release a new a hero, or maybe every third of the year, I think that's also perfectly fine to release a new hero, a new map, something into the game. But that's what people have really been craving this last year. And that's what people always bring up when they talk about the player numbers dipping or queue times increasing, is that what people want is just fresh shit to bring them back to the game. And that, that's what's going to draw the new blood. Yeah. Do we have to let you go, Seagull? Uh, oh, no, I'm you got me sorry. for another hour. You're good. Oh, we I, do? Mm, oh, my goodness. I thought I it was to, now. I wanted to touch on another topic as well, which was the push game, load, uh, game mode. I, I have been very high on this game mode. I feel like it's got a huge amount of potential. We also haven't seen it get played very much, especially not at a high level. But I think you tried it out at BlizzCon, didn't you? In like 2019 yeah. or something. What were your impressions of it then? And where do you feel this goes? I think, the, let me set the stage. I think the reason that this game mode could be excellent is because it's extremely basic to follow. You have this like little robot in the middle that's like walking up and down the pitch it's really easy for anyone who doesn't understand the game in any way to understand who's winning who where where is that robot going like how far is it down and in all the other game modes that we have so far it's um it's like you one team gets a turn and then the other team gets a turn apart from control but you you have this like one team gets an opportunity and during that first half you don't really know whether it's good or not unless you have serious knowledge of the game if the Dallas fuel attacks on Gibraltar and they get two checkpoints and 76 meters if you're a new player you're like well that is that good is that bad i don't have a clue and that changes in every meta it changes based on the opponent it changes all the time whereas in this there's a very obvious trackable um thing that you can watch to see who's winning and who to cheer for i like it for what you said on a spectator level and i also on a gameplay level the reason i think i like it more is because uh it it almost reduces the level of death balling that we see because it is just like you are essentially it reminds a little nostalgic here it reminds me of 5cp from tf2 right that is essentially overwatch's version of it you are doing a tug of war on a map going back and forth that is that is the core of 5cp from tf2 and i really really like that game mode because it opens up like a lot of flanking opportunities like everything isn't it's a linear like in in this map design for example it's very linear obviously like you're literally pushing a robot yeah but the idea that you can flank everywhere and they have so many flanking opportunities i'm going to be very very interested in how that plays out and i mean obviously in the the little time i did play it was awesome because it it felt like a uh i mean i remember too that blizzcon was 6v6 so 5v5 well this will be even more apparent it feels more deathmatchy right i I have sorry come on I was going to say, is that because of the design where you can constantly get flanking routes? The developers were saying that while they did make the map very linear, like escort maps, the big difference is on most escort maps, you can't, 
You can't um, come out of the spawn and get to the payload without f just following the railway tracks. Like, most of your pathing on escort maps currently is you follow the way the payload went, and you either... If you're the defending team, you follow the way it's going to go. If you're the attacking team, you follow the way that it's already been. Whereas on these maps, their design process was to create a lot of um, kind of perpendicular paths. Shortcuts? Where you can, yeah, shortcuts, where you can just cut in and flank from a large amount of avenues, which isn't really something that we see on any other map. Yeah, I am a big fan of that kind of map, just because also from everything that we were discussing earlier, also, it makes a lot of sense with the 5v5 playstyle a little bit. We're like, okay, your tank's going to be duking out around the robot. And then everyone else is just going crazy everywhere else. Like, you're going to be... There's going to be the natural death balls for sure, right? But with that many routes, I think it will actually have a lot more flanks. So, Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting as well, especially in this game mode, because of how I see it playing out. Um, I, One of my worries was initially that it sometimes will feel pretty bad if you're in control of the robot and you just accidentally or for whatever reason got into a place where you don't have any ultimates, for example, um, given how important ultimates are. And you're just like, well, we got the robot, but you know, we, we don't have Winston ultimate yet. We don't have like a coalescence yet. And now we're just kind of stuck here. But opening up these flanks and routes, it gives you more freedom to play around picks and to find advantages that do not rely on ultimates alone to turn these team fights around. So in some ways, how if you watch the Overwatch League, you would see Yaki, for example, for Florida, like go for a pulse bomb to find a pick early. And that could be your entry pick to win a fight based on like a very small ultimate used. Um, you know, it's not a graviton surge. It's just a pulse bomb, right? But that pulse bomb alone can make the biggest difference in you winning that fight. Similarly. Having all these flank routes open up and in the way 5v5 is played, it takes some pressure off of those ultimates requiring big impact all the time. Because like a seagull plays Hanzo here, yes, currently he's playing around the payload, but you could theoretically go for a big flank if your team needed it and try to find a pick with storm arrows on a support that could then win the next fight coming up. So it, I, I think that will make this game mode feel a lot more good in terms of like, how less important it is to always get value from your ultimates and how ultimates dictate the the flow of the robot. Like, does this team have more ultimates? Well, they're going to get control of the robot. Does this team, they have an exalted ultimate bank? Well, they're probably going to lose control. I feel like opening up these flank routes and putting individual skill in the player's hands, like, I, I think that's going to make this game mode feel very interesting and fun to play. I completely agree. I actually love the... I've said it for a very, very long time that I've one thing I've disliked about Overwatch is how choreographed things get when you kind of have ultimates. That so much of team fights get like all of the so we have like the base level of what I would describe as like FPS gameplay. So we have that in Valorant, right? We have that in Counter-Strike and you have that in TF2 and you have that in Overwatch as well, which is the idea of like map control positioning, right? And the angles that you want to hold and everything. And that's all true in Overwatch. But then the moment ultimates come into play, they supersede everything. And, and most of the game starts revolving around ultimates to an extreme degree that isn't really present in other games. And so I'm kind of hoping that this type of game mode, exactly how you just described it, if it can reduce that emphasis just a little bit on ults, I'll be happy. Yeah, because that does seem to, like something that they also are looking to go for too. I, I suppose in a, in a big sense, a question that we didn't really ask early on, but has uh, you've reminded me of it there is 
Do you feel like Overwatch 2 is almost required to reset some of the core development principles that they wanted on the release? Like, they, they have an idea of what Overwatch should be. It doesn't quite turn out like that. And then this is them trying to get back to the magic they wanted to originally capture of it being the individual and swapping your composition regularly to try and counter your opponent. Those kind of things were all core de design principles at the beginning. And while some of them played out, a lot of the time, like at the top level, you're just going to have a comp and you stick with it, even if you're getting countered because you have win conditions with your ultimates uh, or the, the map design is, is better for it. Do you think this is a necessary, um, a necessary step for the developers to try and redesign some of these core principles so they more match what they were intending at the beginning? I think if they're ever going to do it, it is the perfect time to do it because they're already going to 5v5. And yeah. I mean, when you're going to the extreme of going to 5v5, you can do anything. That is the most fundamental yeah. thing you can mess with, isn't it? Like... Yeah, but it like is it. an ultimate compared to now having five players at a six. So I think it's a perfect time to mess with anything. And I mean, they've kind of done, if you go really far back to close beta and Overwatch, it will also remind you, don't you remember, uh, tanks would get ultimate from taking damage. From taking damage, yeah. Yeah. And so it used to be that a strategy was actually to like suicide as a Reinhardt because you'd get 30% of your ult, so then you'd respawn with an Earth Shatter for the next yeah. fight. And it led to some really silly gameplay, so they removed it. But um, anyway, I can. Johnny totally was still playing like that in 2017. <laughs> he, th he thought that patch was still in the game. You got a ton of ultimates from charging. I'll just tell you that. Okay, that's actually. Did he charge? You swing a hammer a few times. It's like 40 percent all. It's time. 50, 60, buddy. Like it's tons. Yeah. And then the time as well. You know, get ultimate every all the time. You know, he's you're dead. 80 percent. You're good. That's it. Yeah. Um. True. I, I, I would, you know, I would like to calm down a little bit, though, you know, with the, the importance of ult and flacking and all that stuff. I think, yes, it gets tiring to just, like, they have more ults, they win, fight, herder. But, like, I think ultimates are really important for the casual player as well. I feel like they get rewarded and feel like this is their moment in a team fight. If you are a Moira and you run around the map for two minutes and you participate in stuff, being able to have that big moments like, hey, this is your coalescence, this is your time to have a big impact on the fight. I feel like that's still important for the casual fan base. And I, I think, um, you know, I, we, we romanticize about flanking and getting pickoffs as Hanzo on, on, on push, but I, I feel like it's important for players as well to not feel like if they get picked, like it's the end of the world, like that kind of stuff. Like it's important to give the players the uh, impact of being able to use an ultimate, a big ability, them feeling like they're contributing um, to that team fight. So I think there's a balance there. Finding that is, you know, difficult, of course, between like how much is, how impactful should an ultimate be? But I don't want to get into that mindset where like, um, you know, some of our listeners might think like, hey, you know, it's all about individual skill, you know, mechanics, stuff like that. Like ultimates are still important to the large majority of the Overwatch player base. So got to find that balance though. I think the the balance is definitely the most important part to me, and I guess it is sort of the the difference the 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 other extreme I guess of what you're describing was goats, and that's the type of gameplay and the ability use and the openers and the trading ultimates and abilities back and forth and it became what is essentially the scale I would say is something between the lines of like counter strike to wow arena 
And WoW Arena is the easiest description because they say MOBA style gameplay, but the idea of, for those who don't play WoW Arena, the idea of trading cooldowns for other cooldowns until you get an advantage is very strictly World of Warcraft. And so I, you really want to make it so like those pop up, but they don't completely take over the game. And that to me, I've always had an issue with that in Overwatch where, uh, and I've noticed it in more games that I've played now, how much more freedom I have, I guess, of the choices and actions I have. So examples being like, in Apex Design, one of the designers recently said something uh, in Apex Legends that they have something called the hallway test. And naturally that gameplay is much more gunplay centric, right, than Overwatch will ever oh. be. But they essentially said, uh, if, I, if we're both in a hallway without cover and I pop this ability and it makes me win, we will almost never put it in the game. And that is like their metric for it, right? And I think about that and I go, if I took that metric as just like a general idea, put it in Overwatch, completely different game. There's like half the abilities that like yeah. just don't even work anymore because it's totally different game, obviously. But uh, in my mind, the perfect synergy would be something between uh, Apex Legends, I think does a fantastic job trying to balance abilities versus gunplay. And it's extremely gunplay based. Valorant is also doing that. And I think Overwatch has previously been on the other extreme. And I think bringing it even just a little bit towards that would be a good job. And I think no matter what, it will be just because of the nature of 5v5. Like any individual play will probably make more of an impact. And so just like a random headshot could turn a fight. So we'll see. Um, talking about shooters like this, if you didn't have a follow-up question, Josh, No, no, go, go, Jonathan. Uh, uh, talking about other shooters like Apex, um, you know, we've discussed Valorant here as well, um, and, and those kind of games. Um, how do you feel about those games, for example, Apex being 3v3 and how it lends itself to Overwatch being 5v5? Um, what are the pros and cons of being 3v3? Um, how do you predict, predict that impacting Overwatch 2 being 5v5? How does team sizing the gameplay positively and negatively um and what are some of the lessons you can learn from these other shooters when it comes to um changing the way overwatch 2 is played currently to 5v5 uh well that's a big question <laughs> sure um, i think <laughs> i think uh so one of the one of the interesting things i think is actually that overwatch 2 pve is 4v4 and i was actually legitimately surprised that when they cut a player they didn't just actually go all the way to 4v4 i thought that, that I, like it sounds crazy but i thought in my head i'm like there's no way they're gonna do 5v5 and then i thought to myself if they're gonna go full pve mode in this game what would a 4v4 watch look like i'm like ah that's a little bit too crazy but yeah. essentially the idea there's like this element of pacing that comes from lesser like sizes essentially that like it's hard to describe Overwatch gives an experience that those games will never have because it's 5v5 and 6v6, right? Like the idea that you have so many like variables to work with versus a smaller set just makes everything much more grand and kind of awesome when it's all going right. So uh, honestly, it's, it's such a big picture question. I don't really know how to answer very well because the, I think uh, like my experience would be mostly in Apex, right? But if I think of it in Valorant, like... Player size doesn't matter nearly as much in something like Valorant because of like the map, like it's all going to come down to gunplay and the map design and everything else. Like I think if you made Valorant 4v4, they'd be able to adapt pretty fast. Although it would make so many maps absolutely yeah, wild. Yeah. But but the the core gameplay doesn't really change that much, I think. So I don't know. Yeah, the, the thing about Overwatch is it has so many interactive abilities. Like you you stack the abilities on top of each other and you're all within the same area of effect to the point where it, it kind of has... 
um the the effects are not just additive they're like multiplicative whereas when you have other games where you tend to play more thinly and you're taking 1v1s or skirmishes or duels they play out in extremely different ways because not not all of your team is together all the time whereas that is a very core concept of overwatch is that you have so many interactive abilities it's better for your team to stick together and get value out of those those abilities because you can you can all benefit from being together and trading and and uh trading the the all all being able to get heals all being able to get value from a defense matrix trading aggression in the front line stuff like that all being able to be behind shields it, it plays in much more of a group um yeah i would actually say that in overwatch's history the only time that was never the case was probably original dive back with like widow tracer winston diva where everything was pretty grouped but everybody had their own like partner in a way right so like the tracer is going for map control so that way um like the winds can winds can jump and that's like the one meta i know off the top of my head that's like very much a little more spread out uh just for map control of how that meta worked but i think as overwatch evolved down the line aoe healing became a lot more prominent and so with those characters it sort of naturally became a lot more death y but honestly i feel very um what's the word like i'm not very so I'm not an expert on it anymore. Like uh, Overwatch metas. Like, when was the last time I actually like grinding the crap out of Overwatch and I knew all the metas outside of like ladder? When I log on every like few months and I'll grind like 4,500 or something, and then I'll just stop. Like, uh, you guys know far more than I do on that regard. Well, I mean, to be to be fair as well, for, to counter my own point, like the the ball metas that we have at the moment, the ball and the tracer do tend to go like very deep on their own, and kind of the rest yeah. of the team plays as a coordinated backline. So it doesn't, you know, you still get that that spread feel. Um, it just doesn't you don't quite have the same skirmishes for map control everywhere around the map on every map um yeah i I wanted to talk a little bit here as well about the idea of um no it's completely gone from my head what was i going to talk about what were we what were we just discussing damn it the um, 5v5 yeah the 5v5 (laughs) oh it has absolutely disappeared from my brain analytical skill player impact Player impact was it that? I can't remember. I I had a, a, a five v five player impact. Crucial PVE. Crucial question that's just disappeared. It's vanished from my head. It was crucial. It the was absolutely crucial. Survive without it. No, nope, the world the world will not continue. It's unfortunate. Um, I oh, did well. want to get your thoughts though. I had a separate topic that I wanted to dive into a little bit here, which was that we've already had we've already talked a little bit about the speculation around the release date but there's also been some serious leadership changes in the top level of Overwatch 2 and i know that a lot of the naysayers around the Overwatch scene will look at that aspect of Jeff Kaplan leading and Aaron Keller taking over and then Michael Shu leaving and a bunch of other people at the top level of not just Overwatch but also Blizzard in general departing and they'll use that to, to say, well, this is a sinking ship. It, they're fleeing a sinking ship. The, the release date is continuing. The, there haven't been very many major announcements. It's 5v5. There's been disagreements about the monetization model. Just wild speculation, essentially. What is your point of view when it comes to these kind of changes occurring as Overwatch 2 is on the brink of release? Do you see it as a negative that there are changes within the leadership aspect at the top of that development team because from what you've talked about so far seagull it seems to be quite a lot of faith at least in the pve aspect 
Yeah, I do have a lot of faith in the dev team, uh, with or without Jeff Kaplan. Mostly because I know that, like, to the general public, the Jeff Kaplan was the focal point for the community, right? He is like the the he's the, the guy in the dev vlog. He's the he's the guy in front of the fireplace at Christmas. Like, oh my god, he's gone, and it it is actually really really sad. Um, and I also God, I love talking about the game with him because he was so open to feedback. He'd like argue with you about stuff, not in like yeah. a, in a combative way, but just to try and like get to your point. He was very very open to everything. I still remember when I first played Overwatch. Before I was ever a streamer or anything, I was grinding Overwatch and I was in a, just in a random game. I ended up against devs back in beta and um, he gave me his email. I was like, if you have any feedback on the game, like, please send me an email because that's the type of developer he was. So I think it's actually like a massive loss on the individual that is Jeff Kaplan to lose that type of person from a dev team, especially as game director leading into Overwatch 2. Like that fucking sucks. Cool. But when it but as for the overall dev team. There are so many people on a dev team. I think it's it feels a little bit reductive or like I would feel weird putting it all on Jeff Kaplan in that way because I know that he's just one person out of like 200 or 300 people, even though he is the boss, right? Or right. was. And so um, my main concern actually would it be around sort of what we discussed earlier about the idea of PvE versus PvP. Like I find it very strange that suddenly... The game director swaps from Jeff Kaplan to Aaron Keller and Keller walks out and he's like, yeah, so our main focus is PVP. And I'm like, wait, what? Like you guys haven't talked about that in years. And now you yeah. suddenly we're, we're talking all about 5v5 and all these significant changes. Are we cutting back? So the, the idea of um, like a release date and leaderships and all of that, it's never a good sign for someone like Jeff Kaplan and his caliber of person to leave, but also I'm confident in their ability to produce like a very, very good product on release. And my main concerns with the game are long-term, like how are you guys gonna balance PV and PVP and stuff like that? But as for Aaron Keller and the team as it stands right now, my main concern would be what exactly is the Overwatch right now? Um, are we going to be a are, is still the plan from way back when they first launched in interviews where they said, yeah, we want to have uh, many progression systems. We want to have like basically the ability to make this your main game, which is essentially a roundabout way of saying a PVE live service game. Is that still the plan? Or are you cutting down on that scale and now just trying to ship the game because it's taking too long? And now we're returning the focus back to PVP. Um, so I guess I really don't know. I just need more info is my current thing. I want to know what Overwatch 2's like it's it's we're we're scarce on info. We don't know what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Um I, I feel like until we actually know the direction of the developer team, we don't really know if you know, we can't really discuss whether it's good or bad for the future of Overwatch in our subjective opinion. Um so uh, as Eagle, I'm awaiting that. Um I do think that people often perceive change as bad um, in this case as well. So like, oh, um, Jeff Kaplan is leaving. Th that has to be a bad sign of something going on in internally that is bad. Uh, while that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, this is someone who, you know, I, I love as much as Eagle um, for everything he's contributed to at Blizzard. But this guy worked at Blizzard for 19 years. You know, it could just, we don't, I don't know the internal uh, motivations why he left the company. Um, could just be the fact that he just didn't want to work for a corporate company anymore after 19 years. Um, we've seen a lot of these people who started out working on World of Warcraft 
leave the company recently. Some have gone into making like their passion projects, like they feel good about the contributions they made in their 20s and 30s. And now they just want to mess around with their buddies and, you know, make their own games from the startup and uh, from the ground up and make new worlds. So we, we, we don't really know the internal reasoning as to well why Jeff Kaplan left to begin with. And it doesn't necessarily have to be bad, reflect poorly on Overwatch as a game just because he left. Um, it could have been anything. Um, and I, I feel like if you're if you're speculating about why Jeff Kaplan left, and if you're like reading his like subliminal, if you're trying to read into his subliminal messages in his Oscar departure Blinks. statement or whatever, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, he he wrote it with this grammar, which means that um, he, he he dislikes this specific person in this department. It's like, I no, I I think you're being very um, unfair to Overwatch uh, developer team. Um, and what goes on there by doing that. Um, it, it's just speculation. We don't know why Jeff Kaplan left. Um, I don't know whether it's going to be good or bad for the franchise until we actually get um, Aaron Keller like making some official changes or like whomever doing like major changes to the franchise itself, monetization, platforms, game direction, all that. We don't know. The, the basic answer is we don't know and how it's going to impact Overwatch. And so until then, um, I... I hesitate to reflect on this leader change as bad until we actually know you know the vision of uh, the new leadership they also they never announced what their initial intentions it's not like jeff ever yeah. came out and said this is my plan and then aaron came out and said this is my plan they they essentially gave as little information as they possibly could about any plan and now they're starting to unveil stuff. So it becomes unpo uh, impossible. And I would say you, you, you were phrasing things as until we know more, it's hard to tell. I don't think we'll ever know because unless you know what the original ideas were, you can't ever reflect on what happens and how it could have been different. Like if Aaron Keller comes out and says, this is a PvP focused game, it, it is also just as possible that Jeff would have said the exact same thing in that developer update because yeah. they're trying to still draw in the core audience who were getting um, worried that it was only going to be a PvE game or whatever. You know, there's when it's not like we have a before and after to be able to compare. Jeff didn't really talk yeah. too much about what the vision was. So, so to give an example, I just want to give an example. Sorry, Siegel. Um, for example, like 5v5. Like some people immediately speculated that Jeff Kaplan left because the game is going 5v5 and that reflects yeah, like, only yeah. on 5v5. I'm like... How, how, you have no idea, like, uh, like about that. Like, and maybe five v five is the way to go, even if Jeff Kaplan didn't like it. But like, the speculation oh. is so irrelevant and baseless to begin with. That <laughs> for it's that like... specific one, can I talk for a sec? Yeah, it's go. so that that specific point is actually really funny because Jeff Kaplan is the one who put the experimental card in that was like one three two. Do you guys remember? Yeah, and he's yeah. like, yeah, yeah. I would really appreciate it if our game was like a little more FPS and less ability based. And like, he puts one three two on the PTR back in the day. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's for, so for that specific argument, like that's that's obviously BS. But I think for anyone who's been in, Johnny knows this, anyone who's been on like a pro team or involved in esports, like the, the idea that like anyone on the outside with the speculation and just sort of guessing, you are pretty much never going to be correct. <laughs> like that's just how it is. Um, and so the one thing I will say, though, I feel really fucking bad for Aaron Keller. That whoever it is on the Overwatch marketing team who's like, yeah, so Aaron, Jeff is gone. Do you want to do developer update just like Jeff, by the way? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, just real quick. Yeah, Jeff used to do them, so you got to do them. Just go over there and just like record it. And Jeff's like, <laughs> Jeff's gone. And Aaron's like, wait, what? I just got to read this. Like, <laughs> you're like, how unlucky to be that yeah, guy. I know. Because, because uh, it's it's so unusual to have a developer that's so well loved, but also so just effortlessly effortlessly charismatic on camera uh, uh, yeah. as Jeff was. There, there aren't many other people who can do that kind of stuff. He used to go up on the BlizzCon stages and just talk without a script, without a script, without any idea of, well, I'm sure he had an internal idea of what he wanted, yeah. but he didn't have any prompts or cards or anything like that. He'd just get up and he'd talk. And that is, I mean, that is an unusual skill for someone in I his capacity. I felt so bad for Aaron because of that. Just the idea that, like, yeah, go record this vlog. Jeff used to do it, so now it's your turn. And I'm just like, oh, no. Because now, because, yeah, this is more of just a just a funny thing. How unlucky it must be to be that person in that moment of, like, you, there's already people comparing you to Jeff Kaplan, and then they want you to do, or you want to do, whoever it is. Now you're going to go do this developer vlog in the same fashion that Jeff Kaplan used to do it. It just begs for comparisons, and people are it's like, oh, man, that's that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. I remembered what my uh, what my question was, the hidden question that was absolutely critical and the earth could not go on without it. So <laughs> it is um, throughout a lot of what we've been discussing here, we've been talking about balance. It doesn't necessarily have to be in-game balance, but we're talking about the, the finding the equilibrium between PvP and PvE. We're talking about finding the balance between having too much content in the game so it's overwhelming and enough to keep people on board. And then we're also talking about the game balance itself to, to, to have a scenario where people are um, able to play a, a large amount of main tanks so it doesn't become restrictive. There's all of these different ways in which finding the right um, balance, the right equilibrium between two extremes is vitally important. And a large proportion of the Overwatch community that are still around, or even people that have left, have severe doubts about the ability of the development team to be able to find that right balance. Because whenever you discuss the concept of finding a balance, people think about in-game how viable are all of your characters. And that is something that Overwatch has had a like cyclical relationship with over the years. Uh, if we ignore the most recent year, the history of Overwatch over the last four before that was certain things are busted. And then there's another cycle of another thing is busted, etc. And so the perception for a lot of people in the community and for people who've left the community is just this development team can't really balance all of the crazy variables that are included in their game. And when that comes to Overwatch 2, it stops just being in-game variables. It also becomes developer time and content and monetization and all of these other things that they have to make really smart decisions on. Now, it is it is natural for communities to have a love-hate relationship with their developers and be extraordinarily critical. So I wanted to ask you the question, how fair is it to doubt the Overwatch development team when it comes to balancing these departments? How How reasonably critical do you think you can be without just being high on copium or being a bit of a like hater that's constantly cynical what's the right level to have of faith around what the development team in overwatch can achieve i think this recent uh patch of history um shows that you know that there is that they are definitely capable of balancing the game correctly and that is why we have current very open meta we have right now um, I, I think it ties into what Siegel mentioned earlier on the podcast, where, you know, with so many new heroes at once, like there's so many 
balls to juggle that like how can you realistically like keep everything up at once and make sure that everything is balanced and nothing gets out of hand and something gets exposed like i am very and historically you know compared to your average community member i have been very um lenient on the developers and the balancing team when it comes to problems like these because i see it as like you know like even the smartest person on earth like you cannot truly predict every small number change and how it's going to impact the meta and what will be abused etc um i i have some sympathy for the balanced developers in that way because i recognize what a difficult task it is um personally you know i've thought about the balance for 5v5 in overwatch 2 and how it's going to look um they're already making changes like i really believe the hit scan change was on experimental card recently with the fall of nerf i do believe there was some overwatch 2 incentive behind that to just try that out in advance um my worry for or actually i mean that's a bit off topic i can go to that later but uh, when it comes to when it comes to the balance team um i am optimistic because of the recent history of a balanced game um i i just think they will have a lot on their hands so it will take some time. I'm going to be patient. Um, and hopefully, you know, within six months, a year, we'll reach a place where with the introduction of new heroes, things are fairly balanced. And I doubt we'll get into like a GOATS kind of scenario again, hopefully. So I think there's a lot of different like angles to this. So the first one is... Most players don't actually need to care about balance because most of them are bad. And the only people who really should care about balance are probably the pro players to, to a certain degree because there are such things like noob stompers and everything else, right? In fact, I think the main issue people have is that over time, the perception of players to new content that has been added is not, is the, is the immediate response of like, this is like imbalanced, this is too strong, right? But also, I think there's the other one, which is this is not fun to play against. Right. And so the and so when I look at Overwatch characters that have been added over the years, the easiest description, the issue I have in the long term is they are very, very good at making content that is very fun to play, but they don't take into account or weigh heavily about how unfun it is to play against. And so this the difference in my mind between they're they don't have to make a very balanced game. As long as it's fun, like no one in Valorant is going to care that rifles and ops are the best weapons and be like, yeah, this is broken. Shotguns need to be better. Like, that's not a thing in Valorant, right? Um, it's about what's fun and what feels like a good direction for the game. And so I am very optimistic about their ability to balance and be, if they have like, like they've proven it. Like if they have a limited amount of content added to the game, they are more than capable of balancing it and making it so a vast diversity of metas and characters are all viable. I don't have an issue with that. I have an issue with the long-term direction for the game and adding characters and stuff like that. So the easiest example that I personally can give is the power creep that took place in the game starting from probably 2017 all the way up to like 2020. The vast majority of characters they added, characters like Brigida and Bap, to have a power creep of AOE healing that led into the GOATS meta with death balls. And then they're like, let's buff all these DPS characters. But now we have this really weird role. So now we got to tone down all these buffs. And like the direction of the content is the stuff I get more confused about because I feel like they don't have the same idea or like the, the picture of the game. 
that I do as a player a lot of the time because they are so focused on making things feel really, really good to play. This is, by the way, why I'm completely confident in their ability to make a PV game because I think... Because you, you don't, don't give a fuck about the AI and how yeah. they feel. It's yeah. only about the exactly. players killing them. Yeah. And so it's... I am totally confident. I am very, very confident they will make a fantastic game in that regard. And I am confident that they will make a fantastic game on launch for Overwatch 2 PvP and PvP. I'm just worried about the long term of are they... Do they know the direction they want to take the game? And I don't think they ever really do. And I say that in a in an idea that... Um, I'll never forget the idea of the developer interviews when they added Hammond. Remember? And they said something yes. along the lines of like, yeah, we aren't sure if this is going to break the game or not, but it was so fun. We just had to put it into the game. Yeah. Right. And that idea, that type of idea is an amazing developer philosophy. I think like I'm like, I'm like, I'm backseat dev developing right now. Right. I'm like a backseat driver. I have no fucking clue what I'm doing, but I feel like that is a PVE type of thing and not a PVP one where I compare it to other devs who are very hardcore about their PVP experience, such as Apex or Valorant. And they're like, yeah, we don't even like the direction this is going. So we're just going to like do all this stuff. And they like change everything and like blah, blah, blah. And I actually will give credit. Overwatch has done a really, really good job in the past few years um, to tone that down. I think when people started complaining about power creep, they reduced a lot of the AOE healing across the board. They try to take everything and rein everything in and make it more like normal Overwatch. So yeah, anyway. As for my rant, I am worried about the direction long term. That's all. But I am confident in their ability for the short term, at least. Because I, I think that's that's one of the areas as well where you're really battling perception too. Because the game is in a balanced state right now, and so you you can argue that it's luck or it's skill that it's in a balanced state right now. Like you, that that's that's up to uh, that's up to your your own interpretation of of the fact, but. What is undeniable is that there are still a huge amount of people who are both actively playing and gave up playing who still think of Overwatch as being profoundly unbalanced, even though the state of the game is quite good right now. They, they'll always think about it as being that game where shit's just broken and you have to play it when you get into the game. And that feels to me like a big challenge for the developers heading into Overwatch 2 is getting the community trust back in that aspect that they're going to be able to do a good job with all aspects of it. I feel like that's do our you... problem. <laughs> do we cause this a little bit as well, players and also as content creators to some extent? Sorry, go ahead, Johnny. Uh, no, I was going to ask in that, in, in that kind of like vein as well. Do, do you think that some heroes will just like... Uh, seem ridiculously balanced in 5v5 because you remove the uh, assistance of an off-tank role. So, you know, I was trying to figure out, like, what, what, what would the meta look like in Overwatch 2? And, you know, I caught this thought that, uh, that worried me a little bit, that, like, hey, what if Widowmaker is just going to be so incredibly impactful? I think it's the best example. Yeah. It's like, well, if you have a Widowmaker on the enemy team, your options are essentially mirror the Widowmaker, um, have your only tank dedicate their full time to removing the enemy battlemaker from the widow uh, from the field, which could feel pretty bad for your team because they're essentially playing four v five now and relying on their main tank removing the widowmaker, um, or just have the entire team like change to like some rush comp and just focus down the enemy uh, bulk of the team. Um, are are you worried about uh, how hero picks and hero swaps affect? the meta of overwatch 2 and like 
um, their impact on hero switches and stuff like that. Because hero switches in Overwatch 1 has been very important. You know, the enemy, you probably want to go Sombra. Um, when you guys have like theory, the meta and what it will. Oh, your, your the, mic is cutting out again. Uh, I think you said uh, if the other team now, has a Haran, you want to be playing Sombra. It went something about yeah. theory crafting. Yeah, yeah, so like, you know, like Hero Picks is very important. Do you think uh, with introduction of 5v5, do you think that Hero Picks will be more important or less important? Or do you think it'll stay the same? What, what are your thoughts on like Widowmaker in a 5v5 setting? She's going to be so busted, man. That's what I think. I think they're going to have to either nerf her or revamp it. And I guarantee they're, that is the source of what you described earlier with, you know, I think they're putting Overwatch 2 changes into Overwatch 1 right now. They probably are already identified that internally. And so they're like, all right, we need to adjust hit scans a little bit. Let's bring this to live, you know, stuff like that. Um, but as for, I think the dream would be, I hope that hero picks become a little bit less important. I would hope that like hard counters and that idea become like less and less prevalent. And I don't think the perception will change too much because I be like, I believe that the perception of 5v5, a lot of the community will naturally put way too much emphasis on that one tank player because they are just one player on that entire role. So they will just blame them for everything or put too much emphasis on them. Even though I think in reality, and what I, I truly hope for is the opposite, that the restriction of having only one tank as your front line leaves many more flanking opportunities and plays possible for your DPS to pop off and do all this other stuff. So hopefully, in reality, tanks become a little bit less important, but I think the community perception is that uh, they're just going to blame them for everything and tell them to swap. So, <laughs> I can tell you that I, I may fall into that trap. I, I absolutely I will may too. fall into that We all that will. Trap. Yeah, and, and I think the, the other part to all of this as well is that it's so early on. We don't even have like closed beta. We haven't really tested out the game properly. We don't know what kind of balance changes they're even going for in terms of, you know, the the details, the nitty gritty. And the devil really is in the details with all of this balance stuff, right? The the general concept could work or could be shit depending on what the details are. And uh, which is why I brought up the question of like, how confident are you in them getting the details correct? Because I think that is the point where it differs the most between people who are really excited about 5v5 and Overwatch 2 and people that hate the idea of it and wish that we'd stayed the same is their confidence in the devs being able to execute it correctly, uh, which pretty unknowable until they, until they do. Um, yeah. Jonathan, did you have any final topics? Because otherwise, I feel like that's a good beginning to our monthly series. Yeah. No, this has been an... Oh, I've asked Mr. X. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey. Mr. X. <laughs> it's, uh, Master <laughs> Mr. X are here. <laughs> uh, no, this has been an incredible uh, episode. I actually like had to help hold myself back a couple of times because I could have just spiraled out of control and just <laughs> same. Like, There's so much like nitty gritty, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, talking about the Overwatch Two balance, I feel like I'm in the Matrix sometimes, but it's actually a video game, and it, the Matrix has no importance. Like I'm just coding by myself. You've lost yourself like, in your own analogy I, there as well. You are, you uh, are gone like Adrian Smith in the song. I'm just lost tripping through space thinking about balance <laughs> and it has no importance. And people are like, what are you doing, Johnny? What are you yeah. doing? Uh, there's so much to unpack. Incredible episode. Uh, thank you so much, Siegel, for coming on. Hi, I appreciate you guys having me on. I do have uh, one last question for you guys, though. Cool. Oh. This is mostly for Johnny because I know Sideshow's answer. In the first 30 days of Overwatch, which will you play more, PvE or PvP? 
Ooh. Um, it depends on the features of PvE, actually. I am yeah. genuinely very intrigued by PvE. Um, and if they nail that, um, I could see myself just like jumping on playing PvE after Overwatch League. Because I think what the Overwatch League is, you know, yeah. like people sometimes ask me, like, how much Overwatch do you play? Well, that's like I work with Overwatch League 50, 45 hours a week, you know? Like, I don't want to go play Winston and that calculate jumps. Like, sometimes I just <laughs> want to jump in Overwatch and just play PvE, right? So if they yeah. nail PvE, I'm very optimistic about like just loving Overwatch as a whole and the options, uh, the many options of gameplay they provide you with. Uh, and, and what would your answer be, Seagull? What are you looking forward to the most? TV. I am extremely excited to see the future of the franchise if they ever do decide to go down that very, yeah, we want to have an infinitely replayable PV experience. We want to have this, like we're going to drop a lot of content for it stuff like that made by the same developer team that essentially worked on classic world of warcraft and then also the cancel titan and everything there's so much potential in that dev team i am very very confident in them and uh a lot of people would be like why but that's okay um and <laughs> in that in that regard um and so, so much I think... copium in this podcast <laughs> it's unreal <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Uh, pv copium all right there's yes. a difference okay. there's a difference there a pvp dude i'm just on you right now I have in the first 30 days, if there is a decent amount of PV content, I will probably touch PVP like once in the first 30 days. I will actually grind like 12 hours a day of PV if there's things to grind because I am I am down to PV grind until mm. yeah. for my personal self, how I look at Overwatch's future in that regard, I can see myself just no lifing PV content until I run out and then just existing in Overwatch PVP and just going back and forth. I think that would be like a, a good balance for yeah. most people. But... You go back to PVE whenever there was like a big update or a new mission to yeah. do or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I could absolutely see that. I, I like that question so much that that is what I want people to comment on as well. All right. If you're, if you're watching this episode and you got to the end, I want you to comment in the comment section below your answer to that question from Seagull. At the beginning of the game, what do you envision yourself playing the most of? What are you the most excited with? And as a secondary thing too, because we're doing one of these every month, if you had a take that you heavily disagreed with from any of us, if you had a question that you thought that none of us really got to, something like that, that you would want to see us cover in a future episode with a different guest, please let us know about that too because we're going to be doing a bunch of these hopefully they won't just end up repeating themselves because we'll actually have new information from the development team but maybe that yeah. is the ultimate copium thinking that they're going to give us any info anytime they soon said they would okay well, okay i will say this they you can't blame them okay this is this is helicopium right you okay. can't blame the devs for going like dark when they literally said all right guys we're going afk bye and then they left and then people were like where's the info <laughs> blizzard where are you at you can't get mad at them they literally went on stage of blizzcon and were like jeff's like yeah you won't see us for a while and then they just disappeared for a year and yeah. people got mad and and of course people will get upset because there's you know no info on all this but at least they told us but this year they specifically said we're going to be much more open and transparent with the they community did. we will get a lot more info and because they've made that public commitment i expect them to uphold it because they never say things publicly like that unless they really mean it because otherwise we would have way more info on what overwatch 2 is yeah so yeah yeah I i'm anticipating stuff a bit like the 5v5 um co-stream kind of thing that they did uh, i'm anticipating that happening relatively regularly but i don't really know what that means at this point it's just a bit of a wait and see on the entire development team but yeah, if you've got any ideas for future episodes, please let us know, and we'll be kind of, we will be kind of reporting on those 
updates as they happen throughout the year, which we're expecting. Okay. One last question. Five, go on. five words only from each of okay. you. Okay. Predict release date. Go. <laughs> You're killing me. You're killing me. What? Okay. Holidays um, 2022. Holidays 2022. Pessimistic. But what is what is holidays? Is that like November, December kind of time? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Oh, Christ. That's a long time. Um, I mean, it, it was released in May. So people always talk about a holiday release, but the original Overwatch came out in May, right, of 2016. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I feel like that is too close. I think if they would... You think I mean, Overwatch 2 would come out in less than a year if you expect that for next year? I don't actually believe that. I feel like they would have had to release more information and the release date if we were looking at May. So I'm thinking... I'm going to go... August. I'm going to have slightly less of a pessimistic approach. <laughs> August 2022. Maybe. Oof. I, I, oof. I, I was going to say September 2022. That's not bad. Oh. God almighty. Yep. I we'll, mean, it depends we'll with all the titles, you know. Like they, it depends episode, with so many things. Oh, yeah. What did you say? I, saw, I, just, I was like, <laughs> monthly episode, by the way. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Was, hey, this is okay. our 24th monthly no. episode counting down our watch two. <laughs> I'm just, it depends on so much that it's not Overwatch 2 as yeah. well. It's like there's probably going to be a WoW expansion. Holidays 2023. There's going to be Diablo 3, right? I don't know. That's yeah. 2025. But you, you get the point that like, you know, there's, they have so many releases, you know, they want to bump up their stock numbers and all the revenue reports and that shit. So maybe it is like quarter two of 2022 or something that way their stock price goes up and they get you're thinking way too hard about this i i yeah I, he is he's got some big brain stuff going on there at least none of us said 2023 that's the big bonus here that's so. true none of us i mean maybe we're all wrong though maybe we're Dude, all wrong stop <laughs> okay before we curse it anymore i'm gonna thank you again seagull for coming on it really has been an absolute blast and if you want to catch the friendly. other episodes and the regular interviews and major podcasts that we're doing around the overwatch league subscribe to the youtube channel and uh, we'll we'll have more stuff like this coming up i hope you enjoyed it let us know <laughs> and we'll see you next time goodbye bye